everyone out there in Geek Fives Nation. This is your friend, Dane Elves, for another, you know, just crazy, jam-packed episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Normally, we are on Wednesdays. Uh, I was doing some weird stuff at work. Uh, Chris was, uh, you know, over in L.A. on a business trip. So we are back on a Super Saturday show like we do normal or not normally, once in a while. And with all the shit coming out, we might have to start doing fucking permanently. But we got a bunch of stuff to talk to you. I will pass it over to my amazing co-host, Mr. Christopher, brother Ray Patton. Chris, how you doing, man? Dude, I am doing great. I am so, so happy to be back in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, you know, I'm the AT alien at heart, so getting out of L.A. is uh, amazing. Sorry we delayed the podcast a little bit. Apologies on that. But we uh, – you know, it was a good time to delay because we have a fuck ton of stuff to talk about and some big news items. So I'm actually really excited for the show, bud. How are you doing? How was your week? Doing good, man. Like I said, the weird schedule kind of messed me up a little bit, just uh, made me feel a little foggy. I'm still uh, feeling it from 5 until 1 because of the heat in the warehouse. But other than that, you know, I can't complain. Had a good uh, good week. I actually forced myself to go to the gym twice, even though it was I was uh, exhausted. But none of you guys out there want to hear me bitch about my fucking week. And uh, we'll, we'll get to some of these news items. I'm actually... Chris, I'm going to pass it to you because this first news uh, – well, actually, it's pretty much our own news item. We're going to be covering um, the G1 uh, finals, a couple notes from that. We'll go into the NXT uh, moving to USA uh, news item uh, comparing to AEW and their sellout for the first three shows. So that – the war, if you will. NXT uh, TakeOver, uh, we'll review that, and then SummerSlam. And I have a couple things, if we can get to it, that happened on Raw SmackDown. Just basically two in particular that I'd like to note. And also – Kick up the rig. So we have, a, like I said, we have a lot to talk about. Chris, um, let's talk about Roman Reigns resigning. Um, uh, do you have the information? Like how many years? And uh, did they give him like a billion fucking dollars and like four dump trucks to put in his back, you know, his yard to make sure he would I mean, definitely stay. So the thing is, is it's not like he, his contract wasn't up, so this is an extension. So they're just like, we're going to keep you for as long as we can. And uh, from what I've heard, it is the biggest wrestling contract. Um, that has happened in history. We don't have exact numbers for it, but to uh, give you – in 2018, he was the third highest paid superstar. So he was making $4.3 million, Cena was making ten, and Brock was making six point five, and that was in 2018. So if you imagine this contract extension and how important uh, Roman Reigns is to this company and the thought of – which, God, that would be so awesome if you went to AEW, and maybe we can spin off and talk about that just for a short time. Uh, <laughs> they had to lock him down, right? Um, because otherwise you end up with almost a Kevin Nash situation where if he goes to AEW and turns heel or something or <laughs> reforms with Dean Ambrose, that's the worst-case scenario for WWE. Uh, this is obviously Vince um, – Trying his best. Uh, this, I mean, the war has begun. By the way, everyone, we're going to get into that a little bit, but we're, uh, we're, um, yeah. I, the, like I said, I heard this was the biggest contract WWE has ever signed for a wrestler, um, especially like a yearly wrestler or a guy that's going to show up for events. Um, Ryan Satin reported it uh, on Tuesday. A very reputable source. Also, Dave reported it as well, uh, and. Um, it says for at least a few more years. So we're thinking two or three years on that contract, and I heard the money was uh, pretty ridiculous, which is good for Reigns. My only worry if I'm Absolutely. in WWE is uh, if he's going to move to movies uh, or if he even has yeah. that passion. 
Yeah, I, I heard him and Jason Momoa were going to make a movie where they're twin fucking brothers or some shit. Um, in Is Rob Trujillo from Metallica going to be in there? Yeah, he's <laughs> the third he, twin he, to be triplets. He's the, he's the aggressive, uh, angry older brother uh, that, that doesn't want to deal with their shit, basically. <laughs> fucking youngins. Uh, but no, um, this is uh, this is good. This is very interesting. I mean, I, yeah, you have to. And I, I love your example of what you're saying. It's like you, you, you place Dean Ambrose almost in the Scott Hall position. And I guess Seth Rollins and Hunter being like, I don't know why my friends are leaving. Uh, you know, I, they got to do what they got to do. You know, but that's <laughs> that's just uh, that's uh, just how it is, man. He would be doing that. And that I would say, honestly, and yeah, obviously Kevin Nash was huge in WWE at the time. But Roman, I think, is even a bigger factor just because they personally put so much worth into him as a wrestler. And I like Roman Reigns a lot. I had a note that – the best match within um, Ron SmackDown was definitely the match between him and Buddy Murphy. I thought both guys looked excellent. I still don't understand the clowning and hate for Roman. I think he's a badass. I wish that certain aspects of his character would change or they'd let him kind of do his own thing instead of just being so manufactured. But I think Roman Reigns is an excellent wrestler, and if they lost him, someone else would turn him into an absolute fucking nightmare for, in a good way for another company. He would be repackaged and just, like you said, probably heal, man. And that's, you know, we've been saying that for a long time, but I still like Roman as a baby face too. And if they really see him as a Cena level person, uh, which I don't think he's to that level, um, but you know, then that's what they got to do. They're doing the same thing with Seth Rollins. They see a lot of value in those guys. And I think it's because they are loyal to the WWE. They're willing to play ball and they want to be the guys. They are literally, I mean, if you look at it and I've said this a million times, I just said it a little while ago, but they are to the company, what the late nineties have with triple H and the undertaker. They are the guys that are very, they're going to stand with Vince and that's good. But if he got a big offer from somewhere else, I mean, dude, <laughs> check, check this. I'm going to pass it back to you with just saying this. Imagine if, if New Japan made a ridiculous offer for him just to come out for a little – what if he was doing the same thing that John Moxley's doing, where AEW and then being able to travel and do some other shit where he wants to? I mean, he would be still making a shit ton of money. But, of course, you get those Brinks trucks, drop them off at the Roman Reigns residence, man, and, uh, yeah, he's good. <laughs> I'm yeah, glad he's staying, though. They need him. Yeah, I'm I'm glad he's staying as well, and I do equate him a little bit to The Undertaker more than John Cena. I know he's been pushed like Cena, but as far as being a locker room presence and you know being over but not to the level of what Cena was, I it's very comparable uh, comparable to Undertaker. Obviously, I'm gonna get some shit for that because it's Undertaker and he's a goddamn legend. But Roman Reigns is great, man. People need to give him a little bit of a break. Uh, I, I look at him a lot like Brock Lesnar. It's all about how you book those matches with Roman to make a good match, more so than, uh, like, you know, if you put him against Baron Corbin, it's not going to be a great fucking match. Um, but if you give him a good opponent to work with, like, it could be really good. Like, him and Taker uh, in that tag match recently, like, that was a really good tag match, and it was with Taker. You know what I mean? Like, they just, it was booked very well, and it was a good match. Um, yeah, but if WWE couldn't, they can't afford to lose someone like Roman Reigns, uh, more so than anyone else. Because like if if AJ Styles left or something, it's a big deal. But Roman is so associated with WWE, it, you would end up with a Kevin Hall or Kevin Kevin Nash Scott Hall situation where now he can go to a different company and be a heel, 
and maybe even work against, you know, if your main competition is AEW, work against John Moxley. And then you're building off everything WWE has done <laughs> for the past like six years. So uh, this this contract extension makes sense. And uh, obviously, when he signed it, he, he was like, "Show me the fucking money." Um, and if he went to New Japan or AEW, even if they paid him less, I don't think it's going to matter that much in the long run because I do see him kind of getting more into to, to movies and stuff. Um, coming off Hobbs yeah. and Shaw, obviously his first appearance, but you know, The Rock kind of set the path. For, for someone like a Roman Reigns. And, and and you even see that with John Cena now. Like, where the fuck's Cena been other than the Raw reunion show? He's he's filming Fast and the Furious. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but, yeah, I agree with you 100%. It would be amazing to see him <laughs> kind of in the John Moxley role. Obviously, this is never going to happen now. Um, I yeah. think this contract signing shows that he is a WWE lifer. He's going to stick with Seth, which... I think that's great. WWE needs guys like that, and I think that shows the whole locker room that, like, hey, we know this is going on. We know we're in an impending war with AEW, um, but, like, yo, the big dog's still going to be here. <laughs> you know, you need that security. You need that blanket of, like, an Undertaker or a Triple H, like you said, or, uh, you know, even Sean. Like, HBK didn't leave just because everybody else left. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I equate him – of course, I equate him, uh, you know, with AJ because I don't think AJ's going anywhere. I, I even if the club left, I think AJ wants to finish up uh, the majority of the, his career, at least where he can perform to the level that he is in WWE, because he doesn't have to go too over the top. He can still do a lot of stuff. I'd love to see him go back or go to AEW, but I feel like he's someone that's going to stick around as well. Those are the only three I could. Kevin Owens, if he wanted to, if he was like, "Fuck it," after this contract, he could go. You know, so many other guys to get the hell out of there that's in a big main spot. Those three, I don't see doing it. Uh, I could even see Becky, so, like, sayonara if she wanted to, or Kofi. Yeah, I don't see Becky going anywhere as long as she's with Seth, though. You know what I mean? Like, that, that yeah. works out oh, in yeah. favor a little bit. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, Kevin Owens, I, I heard this, like, really funny comment. Like, you know what? He should have just gotten himself disqualified in the middle of the match, and they would have had to fire him, and he could go to AEW, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Um, I, I think you know Owens loves it in um, WWE. I think they've treated him pretty well. If I was looking at you know one of the guys that would would probably pull like a, a John Moxley, I would say Sami Zayn. I feel like Sami Zayn's been fucked since he was brought up yeah. to the roster, and he could do really really well elsewhere, especially if he came back out as El Generico. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree with you on that. I think you would have more fun. That's that's someone. But anyways, uh, very cool details with the situation. Uh, I kind of want to move on to some of our New Japan stuff. You know, last weekend, not only did we have SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver, but we also had the end of the G1 Finals. And Kota Ibushi ended up, spoiler alert, winning the thing, uh, being the first uh, to win the the super, the super Juniors, the G1. And what's the other uh, what's the other major one? Uh, Super J Cup. He won all three tournaments basically within New Japan. That's incredible. And he had a great match with Jay White. He had some. I, I think he had better matches within the, the the tournament itself that I watched. But that was a damn. Uh, like him and him and uh, Will Osprey was fucking awesome. But it was a great match. Um, I'm a big fan of Kota Ibushi. He performed like a monster. But before we get to that match with him and Jay White with the finals, two other news items happened within this. We had. Um, basically within the match, it was a tag match. 
uh, with I don't know if it was the Grills of Destiny. I just basically saw the the ending aftermath, but um, it was against Kenta and I believe uh, Ishii, and he turned on Ishii and joined the Bullet Club at the end of the match. Um, and it's crazy. Kenta now a part of the Bullet Club along with Jay White, Tamatanga, and the rest of them, and to come to the defense and also because he was furious within the storyline uh, of his friend going to the dark side, if you will, uh, fucking Shibata came out and destroyed people, like was very physical, like more so than, and we'll talk about Edge um, at SummerSlam, way more so than that. Like the fact is Shibata really fucked himself up pretty badly. He had internal, he had a a bleeding of the brain from that headbutt that he viciously did against Okada. So it's crazy, but I feel like maybe based on whatever he's done as far as like to heal himself or, you know, there's a lot of things now uh, available stem cell research being one of them, uh, the stuff that Daniel Bryan did uh, with um, the, you know, there's lots of stuff that they're, they're using uh, right now to mend the brain or mend body parts that they weren't able to do obviously years ago. Um, that's why a lot of older wrestlers are able to come back doing stuff, uh, as well. But with Shibata, it just, it sounds dangerous, but he, he annihilated him and showed also that he has, Okada definitely is up there. Uh, so is Finn Balor, but he's got one of the best drop kicks, uh, to a sitting person in the, uh, in the, the ropes, basically. It's fucking incredible. And I think... Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I might, you know, think that this might mean maybe a retirement match for Shibata to go against Kenta at Wrestle Kingdom this year. Could they be building to that, or is that looking into it too much? And what do you think about the turn? Well, okay, so Girls of Destiny and Bad Luck Fale versus Ishii, uh, Yoshihashi, and Kenta was the actual match, right? And um, for from the very beginning, something just felt off like it was going to be an angle, but I was completely surprised about what happened. I actually thought, like, maybe Bad Luck Fale was getting out of the Bullet Club. It just, for whatever reason, the match just felt weird. Um, and then it got really awesome. Like, this is the best angle of the year so far as far as, like, a storyline thing goes. Kenta joining the Bullet Club makes so much sense with his character, and they need that strong presence and someone they can, you know, who who did really well in the G1 and is probably furious that he's you – know, character-wise, is furious that he didn't win. Um, so joining the Bullet Club, like him, Tamatanga, and Tangelo, that's incredible. Um, Shapata getting in the ring because, um, you know, he basically – he supported Kinta kind of when Kinta came back, right? Wasn't that the storyline? Is that Shibata kind of introduced Kinta, and then they did the G1 well, not run? Well, only that, I believe um, they had a – when they first started, they both had a tag team together for a long time. So they've been friends and kind of brought that aspect out of it as well. Yeah, so, I mean, it's the perfect setup. Uh, I do. I will say they stayed completely away from Shibata doing too much physical stuff. I mean, he beat the shit out of people, but he took nothing near the head at all, and it was very safe for him to do. I don't think he's doing a match. I mean, from everything we've heard, and even when we reported that injury after the Okada match, I just – I mean, maybe New Japan would clear him, but that's scary to me. To me, it's not worth like, it. Honestly, like that's so scary to me, especially when you know New Japan's already had deaths in the ring previously. Um, and we're always constantly worried about someone breaking their neck. I, I just I would steer clear of it. Give give get Shibata uh, someone that he can 
turn into a monster to take on Kenta. You know what I mean? I think that's the better idea um, as far as moving forward with the storyline. I, I just I hope that it's not a match with Shibata. I would love to see Shibata back in the ring. I I think I even rated that Shibata Okada match higher than at least one of those Okada Omega matches because I thought it was fucking phenomenal. I did think the headbutt was a bit ridiculous. Also, I don't think anyone's headbutted Okada since because apparently his head is – it's like, oh, God, it's solid steel. <laughs> um, but no all shit. All aside, man, <laughs> like uh, that I, I would – you have bleeding on the brain from a headbutt, and that's a massive concussion. You worry about CTEs. You see all these uh, athletes in any sport, right, with these problems. I, to me, you just don't put that guy back in the ring. Uh, I know WWE wouldn't clear him, especially with this heart of a time that they gave Daniel Bryan, but it's New Japan, and, and you kind of never know. I, I would hope they wouldn't clear him. I think there's other ways to do this. You can make a star by having him associated with Shibata to go against the Bullet Club. Finding that person may be a little hard, um, but I, I think that would be the route I could go. And you could even do – you know, you got Moxley for a little bit, but you also have Omega, who still has dates left. So maybe bring in Omega, have him work with Shibata, and then that that's your buildup is you know Omega versus uh, Kenta or something. You know what I mean? You can still do a big match, but I, I don't want to see Shibata back in the ring. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, but you heard it here first, guys, from us. Uh, Shawn Michaels, Edge, and Shibata are coming out of retirement, so we'll be looking forward to that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's more kidding. likelihood uh, of H out of all of those, there's more likelihood of HBK coming back out absolutely. of retirement than Shibata or Edge. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I know that you, you, you said it too as well. I think a lot of people, and I've seen a lot of outlets that – I like like Uproxx and uh, the original one that you sent it to me using that headline of uh, kind of misinterpreting what Edge said in the uh, Edge and Christian podcast. I mean, he was kind of happy and serious, but he also went to the fact that he's got a family, guys. You know, he's he's doing that. You know, he doesn't he doesn't really want to come back. He's 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 doing his thing, and especially with Beth being on the road now a lot doing the NXT stuff, it's you know definitely a conflict of interest and. Uh, Hey, whatever, yeah, whatever he it, wants to do. Here's the thing. If you, if you want to limit someone so much that we're going to have to worry about them, like a Shibata, like even Daniel Bryan to an extent, or like Edge, what's the point? Like, let the guy be healed. You know, it's very much like Austin and Paige. You're never going to see them back in the ring because of their neck. It's They got what Edge calls a really a stupid neck, basically. Yeah, and and what I would say is like it's not like Edge needs the money. That their podcast is great. He's on, he's been on so many TV shows. Beth is currently Vikings. working in the WWE. You know, like there's no point for him to come back. And I, I think and it he's would got take two a young lot. daughters. Yeah, so someone's got to watch them while Beth is doing shitty commentary on NXT. <laughs> I think well, I I like Beth more so than I'm not going to try to throw Renee under the bus. It's kind of rude to compare them because they're both the female commentators. But Beth's gotten a lot better. I just this is a completely different conversation. Renee should be doing what she was doing or doing backstage interviews. That's where she was doing really well with. But people need to get off her balls because she's trying and she's getting better. Same thing. She is trying know, and, and 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 you know not to do the comparison like you said. She is trying. She also doesn't have Nigel McGinnis to work off of. So that's Absolutely. not all her. I would say that entire commentating team is not as good as the NXT commentating team. As much as Mauro Mar- <laughs> Ranallo gets on my nerves a little bit, uh, he's still that commentary team is way better than anything they have on the main roster. 
it's it's more realistic and efficient and a lot more informative instead of just stupid banter between them. I think that's the biggest thing. It's so overly scripted. It's not really the, any of their fault. I think Michael Cole. I've been listening to a lot of wrestling. This is going down a rabbit hole. I've been l- listening to some of the early, the late two thousands, where Michael Cole, I guess, was a heel commentator. But at that point, he wasn't doing the main stuff. He was kind of just more or less adding what he does with the social media stuff and adding, you know, into the conversation. I, I feel like that's a better role for him. I don't know. Maybe, maybe him and Renee should switch their roles a little bit. Maybe she should present it and he should kind of like uh, do play by play. I don't know. It's, 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 I think it's, if they didn't feed Michael Cole so much to throw out there repeatedly, I think he would be a fine commentator. Um, but he definitely gets the brunt end of like, we need you to get all of this shit in. Um, yep. Really, really Get your quick. shit in. All right. Well, uh, next thing, when we go back to Japan now from uh, WWE's conversation about commentators, uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about the next item that was big. I mean, so um, Zack Sabre Jr. and uh, Minoru Suzuki went against uh, Kazuchika Okada and uh, uh, Tanahashi. I forgot what their tag team is. It's really, really cool, but the, the tag team of Okada and Tanahashi, what they call them. Um, but they both lost against Suzuki and uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Zack Sabre Jr. had Tanahashi, he wasn't the legal man, tied up in an octopus hold over by the ropes and was just stretching the shit out of him. Uh, I think we're going to be building at least to maybe the next pay-per-view, if not Wrestle Kingdom, for the Rev Pro British uh, Championship between the two of them, is, a, is what I'm assuming at least. And uh, Okada got uh, fucking choked out by Suzuki. Um, and uh, afterwards, Suzuki cut a promo and was like, I love this because now it kind of makes sense. It's like, even if there was a little bit of aggra- aggravation, it, it kind of makes it more. I always forget that they're so good at booking in New Japan. So actually, it might have just played out that Suzuki was kind of maybe wanted off on the tournament, but his character was pissed about it. And now, he, what he's saying to Okada is, I pinned you. And isn't it pathetic that you got pinned by someone that wasn't even in the G1 tournament? He's like, I'm going to take your belt. And uh, we got Minoru Suzuki uh, uh, against Okada coming up, and uh, it should be a banger. I don't, I don't see Suzuki taking the title, obviously, but I like the build, and I like this execution they did on the show. What do you think? Yeah, I, I love the build as well. I think you, you put it perfectly. Like the, the booking always makes sense in New Japan. <laughs> Thank you, Gato, for being the best booker in wrestling today. It's not even fucking close. Like, we knew something was coming out of this, with Suzuki not being in the uh, in the tournament. And I think they did a great, great build to Suzuki versus Okada. And it's the first. Uh, it's it's in a long time. It's the first time Okada's really fought a brawler in a championship match. I, w- I would go back to Shibata. So I think that match could be absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you're gonna have. You know, obviously Okada is going to be selling a lot that match, but you you know you're going to get all the high spots with Okada. Okada. You're going to get the you know the perfect ten drop kick and obviously some rainmakers and possibly you know him almost getting choked out. Like I, I I can't wait to see him almost getting choked out and somehow reversing that into like a crazy spitting tombstone or a rainmaker. It's going to be phenomenal. I'm so looking forward to that. I was so disappointed Suzuki wasn't in uh, the G1. But now I'm just like, God damn it, I should just always trust in Gato. He's he always has a plan. He really does, and that's it's pretty damn impressive. But it's like it's only because of what what we're subjected to with, you know, WWE and what we're used to. That's like you don't you don't see that happening. And then you're like, Oh yeah, this is New Japan. So they do it a little bit differently. Uh crazy tournament. 
uh, to kind of – I don't think that me or Chris predicted it was going to be Kota uh against especially Jay White at the end of all of it. Um, but Sonata really shined in this. Uh, obviously, Okada did, as always. Naito actually took a kind of a negative turn with his, you know – it looks like he's going to – it almost seems like there might be inner, tw- or inner uh, problems uh, with uh, LIJ between Sonata and Naito now. It seemed like kind of Sonata ended up leading them a bit. Uh, I don't know what they're doing with Naito, but I think it's very interesting. I think they're doing a fall from grace angle with them that they've kind of been building on. And uh, I like the idea that since Russell Kingdom's two nights, the rumor is Kota Bushi – would be going against Okada one night and then to see Naito the other night and might be the first guy to get the IC title and also the uh, the main title, the uh, heavyweight title. And uh, that's pretty that, – that, to me, that means, you know, beforehand – and I, I love Kenny Omega. He's obviously one of my favorite wrestlers uh, in wrestling. But I even said his run was a little bit lackluster, but it wasn't his fault. And even Tanahashi's short run, Jay White's, it's because Okada was so dominant, and really, Okada's positioned very similar to Brock Lesnar with the Universal title, and I think Seth is kind of like a Kenny Omega kind of concept within that as well, if you think about it. It's just that they don't need the title necessarily. It's, it's just like Tanahashi with John Cena, that same exact type of level. They know that they're legitimate. They'll, they'll, they'll attract people in. They're one of the bigger guys, and they can count on them to perform, and I mean, Okada's a top performer within the company. So I'm just saying that I think slowly but surely, Kota Ibushi is getting placed in that position. And um, not necessarily to overtake Okada, but Okada can be, you know, what he is, um, a attraction wrestler, and he doesn't necessarily need the title to be one of the main guys. They're finally finding someone suitable, I feel like, that can take that title if Kota beats Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. And we don't know if that's going to happen, but it's sure to be one hell of a fucking match. And Naito needs to rebuild himself, but I even find it more interesting if he goes after both and maybe even loses to Naito after beating Okada for the title. And then that can push something between the two of them where Naito, even though we're going to watch a match where they fucking just destroy each other, where Naito uh, finally gets that title, but from Kota Ibushi down the line. Uh, Chris, what do you think about the tournament itself and just uh, some of the uh, things building up to Wrestle Kingdom with it? Well, the tournament was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I, I think if you if you go back and listen to our last podcast, they gave a good list of matches, and um, the, the only one I would add to that is the Jay White uh, Abushi match because it was for a Jay White match, it was really, really, really well done. Completely took me by surprise that Jay White um, made it. I, I honestly thought it was going to be Nato and Okada with Okada winning. Um, or Abushi versus uh, Nato. That's that's what I thought the entire time. I think that was my predictions in general. Um, but the storyline that you just laid out is amazing because if you you have two nights for Wrestle Kingdom, have him lose to Nato on the first night, but then have the title match the next night with Okada and have him win. And now you have a feud, right? Like you have a setup of of a really good build to to a story. And like you said, Okada doesn't need the belt at this point. Um, he is a security blanket for that company, especially when he you're makes it legitimate. He does make that title legitimate. I mean, if you hold the the fucking title for 800 days in New Japan, having it on you is about as legit as it's going to get, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, 
I'm I I kind of always thought even if Nate like NATO wanted or Okada wanted it was somehow going to wrap around to Ibushi uh, after he signed that lifetime deal. I think this is the time to put the title on him and and have him have his big run. So uh, that makes sense. And you know, I know a lot of people really love the the NATO Ibushi matches. This not for me. I, I think they I think they work better with other people safer. <laughs> Because it definitely their storyline is like, let's see who can break each other's necks. <laughs> their past yeah. two matches, at least. And uh, you know, the only follow-up I would have, you know, in in, in general to this is uh, for Okada fans, because I'm an Okada fan. Okada's going to be okay, even if he loses the title at Wrestle Kingdom. I promise you. He went on a three-month losing streak before winning the title again. So keep that in mind. He's always going to be a fierce presence, and you know, like. Maybe he even wins G1 next year, and the setup is him versus Ibushi, which who the fuck doesn't want to see that, like especially at Wrestle Kingdom. Again, you know, the rematch. So I'm looking yep. forward to it. I think it's going to be awesome. And, and like I said, you, at some point you just – you have to give up on any kind of fantasy booking with New Japan because Gato is going to book it better than you could ever book it anyways. Like <laughs> it's the one company where you could like, I would do this, and, and it makes more sense. But like with New Japan, it's like you know, Gato's Gato's are obviously written this out like a, a fucking uh, Game of Thrones novel or something for the past four years. Like it seems like all this stuff has been built for years and years, as far as his booking goes. It's incredible stuff, man. He's one of the best. Um, but yeah, that was G1 tournament. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot that happens from this. And maybe, you know, all of a sudden with this, maybe if Okada's free from the title, he can do a little bit of a, you know, interpromotional traveling, if that ever can happen. But we'll have to wait and see. Um, man, that's actually a good thing. We should probably mention, um, before we go into this NXT stuff, Ring of Honor uh, took a huge hit from their pay-per-view. And I, I feel kind of bad, but they seem to be definitely being the company within all of this. You know, Evolve's getting a lot of help from WWE now. You know, there's always going to be room for uh, PWG, obviously, within the market. The British stuff is actually getting a lot of help from WWE, and some of them have also had some problems as well and, and fallen apart. But um, Impact is, made, is doing a good job staying in Canada as their primary uh, wrestling organization. Obviously, AEW is going to make a huge impact. we got WWE. MLW has its crowd, and they've been doing better and better. It seems like Ring of Honor is actually the, the, the company out of those secondary wrestling companies, Chris, that's taken a hit. And uh, that's very unfortunate. Um, but that's the one obviously partnered with uh, New Japan. If that continues, would New Japan, even if they have issues with some of the wrestlers for what happened, you know, would New Japan want to find someone a little more suitable, uh, like an AEW, to have a partnership with? And... Um, if that happened, how much bad, like how bad would that be for Ring of Honor as well as everything else that's going on? You know, I, for Ring of Honor, it's kind of a, a bad situation in general. They've lost a ton of talent. Um, I, their next pay per view, this is a news item we were going to talk about on Wednesday, but I'll just like their next pay per view tag team title championship is the Rock and Roll Express versus the Briscoes. Matt Taven's their current champion. They brought in Alex Shelley to help try to pop the pay-per-view ratings and and uh there's just a lot of stiff-ass competition with better i don't want to say better wrestlers but more known wrestlers and other products 
and, and they're going to have a very rough time uh, in the month of August, especially with the AEW's pay-per-view. You know, WWE obviously going strong, NXT going strong, and PWG's Battle for Los Angeles and New Japan coming out of G1. Like, they're kind of in a bad spot, but they still do good on TV. Uh, they, you know, Ring of Honor will always have its cult following of fans, but yep. they don't they don't have like a, a Tyler Black there or a Kevin Owens or a Samoa Joe or an AJ Styles. Their, their talent has been so stolen at this point that to me, Ring of Honor is in a rebuilding period. I like Matt Taven. I think I think he's had some good matches, especially his matches with uh, Jay Lethal. But uh, you're 100 percent right. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, if you're if if you're New Japan, say, you like, have to look at that. Jay, Jay, I, I feel in the situation Jay Lethal is to Ring of Honor what Okada is to New Japan, where it's like, just put it back on Jay Lethal, man, because at least, you know, he'll be a great champion. He's someone, he's he's the most, I, I would say, well-liked person in Ring of Honor um, right now. So, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you get the, um, I mean, I don't know where, where I don't know where they're at with Alex Shelley, but I like him and Jay Lethal to me are the biggest names in that company. Yes, just from the outside looking in. So I maybe get the title on Lethal and then do Alex Shelley versus Lethal, or you know you try to bring back the Motor City Machine Guns and have that versus the Briscoes yes. and have that headline your shows. Outside of that, I mean, you got like Dalton Castle, you got uh, Beer City Bruiser, which is awesome. He was a guest on our show, really great guy, a good wrestler. Great guy. Um, PCO. But PCO is phenomenal. They just got to find Brody a way King. to find a niche. The problem is, is if, and if you we're know, getting a ball. You know, Marty and fucking Flip Gordon are flip Gordoning over to fucking AEW as soon as their contracts are out. I'm, that's something I definitely see in the future. So it's they're going to have. They definitely are in a rebuilding stage for sure. Yeah, and Ring of Honor sees that too. That's why they haven't, you know, put the title on Marty. Otherwise, they would have put the title on yep. Marty, and they would be kind of in a better situation. But you're gonna fuck yourself. You put the title on the guy, um, and then he just leaves at the end of his contract. So I will say this: at least they're not trying to fucking bury him on the way out like WWE does. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like they're not trying to bury Marty and. And, and flip for maybe going to AEW, but uh, I, I think you're right about New Japan. They just got to figure their shit out and work it out with AEW because AEW is going to need all the help they can get, which we're going to get into because there's so many similar – There, you know, the, the entire idea of AEW is it's going to be different wrestling, but if you compare it to what, like, NXT is or what Evolve is, it's a little bit similar. Um, yes. More of the indie style, just big work rate. So they're going to need something, and I think like the Golden Lovers or Okada showing yeah. up on American television would be a huge fucking deal. So they just need to put those differences aside. It'll help both companies, and we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously there's no rumors about this or anything. As far as I know, uh, Gato in New Japan in general are still kind of mad about how all that shook out where they lost – basically lost six, six of their big stars um, in one foul swoop. Yep. Well, uh, let's get into that whole entire thing. So we definitely know that AEW, uh, their first three nights sold out. Great job for them. Uh, they got some um, main events uh, named. I think the first night, it's uh, Sammy Guevara versus Cody is, is something. I know that uh, they're also having – it's a tag – it's a mystery tag team, I believe, with Chris Jericho against the Elite. 
and a lot of people are thinking LAX, which would be fucking awesome uh, if that ends up, you know, actually happening. But I don't remember exactly what the next two nights are. They're both impressive night, or the next week's uh, events were for the live television, but they're both impressive. Uh, so obviously AEW is on an up. We have a little bit of a war uh, brewing. Uh, last night, uh, PW Insider reported, and then it was also uh, talked about on The Observer, that now it seems that even though we thought FS1 was going to get NXT and there was no confirmation on if it was going to be live or not, that was assumed a bit, uh, well, some information about it, but you know there was no definite answer. Looks like it's actually going to go to USA, be on Wednesday night, uh, not only be live and going against AEW, but it will actually start October 2nd, the same night AEW TV starts. And Triple H will still be in full control, which would make sense of why he is now just going to be going after this aspect. I don't know if USA made a better offer than Fox did, and they realized that, that people are going to watch USA with NXT, obviously more so than FS1, so that's a great deal for them. If this happens, I, I'm almost positive, like almost 100%, but hasn't been confirmed, so I don't want to say definite. But I love this because I want NXT to be its own brand. I think NXT is, a, you know, AEW hasn't happened yet, so I'm not going to jump on that fucking bandwagon like some people and act like it's the greatest thing before I actually even gets a chance to start. NXT is my favorite. It's great wrestling, great storylines. The stuff that Hunter... Sean, Regal, and all the other creative guys over there, both working with the wrestlers and the talent, and also forming the storyline. They're great. I would say Triple H is right underneath Gato for one of my favorite uh, bookers, uh, because I think his storylines are great, and they're very, very well thought out. They last a long period of time. Think about Ciampa versus Johnny Gargano, and uh, the match quality is excellent. This also kind of sucks. It doesn't really necessarily suck for us, but we're definitely going to have to cover a hell of a lot more. But it sucks that the two things that are probably the most similar, AEW has so much potential, has so many wrestlers I like, they're going to be against each other. And um, I feel like they're only tapping to NXT now because they want someone, they want something similar, and they want something to make a statement. And that's fine. I get it. I get business. I get Vince. It's actually pretty fucking intelligent. But I think if, if it takes me watching both of them on my fucking television live, I will. Or if I had to go back and watch another one, I will. I mean, I will adapt and, and, and figure it out. I think football fans have been doing this forever, you know, and, and lots of other sports fans. So it's going to be kind of nostalgic, I guess, Chris, a bit from the Monday Night Wars. And then we're going to have Ron SmackDown, who I think have been doing better. They really have. And it's only going to amplify the more AEW grows, which it will. So interesting, kind of some douchebaggistry in there, Chris. But uh, – you know, give us any information we want to talk about with the AEW stuff. I think you have some more stuff in front of you. And, uh, you know, what do you think about this whole entire thing with NXT? I mean, AEW is selling out three shows straight. You're talking a, a 4,000-seat arena uh, in Boston, and then uh, I think it was 7,000 or 8,000-seat arena in um, Philadelphia. It's kind of nuts. Uh, I, I knew that the first show was going to sell out. I felt pretty confident about that because people want to be a part of history, especially if you like that company. I didn't expect the next two shows to sell out as fast as they did. We're talking 40 to 50 minutes. They're gone. And you can say, like, scalpers bought them, but that's any concert. Like, if Paul McCartney's coming to Atlanta, 20% of the tickets are going to be bought by scalpers because it's fucking Paul McCartney. You know what I mean? So, ha- like, put that aside and think about that means that you have a hot product. Um What's weird is that 
are they going to continue with these small stadiums or are they ever going to, you know, all right, let's do, you know, like they're doing for the pay-per-view in Chicago or, or uh, are, are they going to do, ever do like a 10,000 plus seat arena and, and really like Madison Square Garden, for instance, or if they were here at, well, God forbid it, like I would say Gwinnett Arena over Phillips, but like if you do like, or whatever the fuck Phillips is called now, SunTrust, now SunTrust is the Braves. Uh, whatever the hell we used to call Phillips in Georgia, the, where the, the Hawks play. Like, how close are they to that, I think, is the metric that no one can figure out. Because they sell out so fast, <laughs> and they're filling these arenas, but they're only booking you know small shows. They're booking basically WWE house show size arenas. Um, so while it's great for AEW, and I think it's amazing, and, and obviously TNT is uh, showing commercials and, and promoting this thing, I mean, AEW is going to be a threat. The problem is NXT is also really, really good. Uh, my worry with NXT going live is – or if it, hopefully it doesn't go live. I hope they tape it, to be honest, and just show it uh, on both, maybe the network in USA or they work out some kind of deal. Um, my worry with it going live is that it will stray away from what we love about NXT with them being able to tell those detailed storylines. Uh, they have great minds behind it. I mean, William Regal and Triple H uh, and obviously Sean and all those guys uh, have done a really, really great job. And now the, um, the, the weird thing about NXT is now you look at their stars like Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream and Johnny Gargano and Ciampa is going to be coming back. Those guys can't move. Nope. <laughs> you know what I mean? You've essentially created ECW in the uh, 2000s, and I think they're going to learn really, really quickly as soon as they actually give these guys TV time and they're putting it head-to-head. The NXT is actually their hot product. They're good shit, uh, which will <laughs> probably baffle Vince, and my worry is then he's going to start moving things around. Um, even though they've said Triple H is going to be, you know, still head of the show, it's still going to be the Triple H show. Um, that hasn't stopped Vince in the past from being like, you know what, Aleister Black and Ricochet is a tag team. <laughs> oh, <Duh. no>. So <laughs> my worry is, is it will be fine until Vince starts fucking with it to try to make Raw the big show because Raw has always been their big show. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is like obviously we're in a wrestling war. Like, shots have been fired. <laughs> this, this is where we're at now. We can try to pretend and say it's not a big deal, but, like, AEW is going to do really well by all the metrics, all the pay-per-view buys, like 100,000 pay-per-view buys for that first pay-per-view. This next one will be probably 100, 150,000 pay-per-view buys at $60 a piece. Like, Vince sees what's happening. He's not dumb. And – to top it off, you, he's giving you Evolve as well. Like, we're getting Kushida versus Gulak on the next Evolve show. Like, he knows what's happening, and he knows it's leaning more towards an indie style of wrestling, and he's going to give us that. Uh, so, for that, for that I, piece, that sucks for AEW. And I, and I think that goes back to what you're saying. I think Evolve will take the place of being the NXT uh, replacement with not on the network. And I think all of that is good. Um, the, the two fears that I have is exactly like you said, for one of them, Vince's ability to get involved in stuff, uh, which can be a very negative thing. As long as he lets, lets Triple H really do the storyline and doesn't try to get involved with that, that's the biggest thing. If he wants to kind of give some, whatever, 
uh, stuff that has to do with the show, you know, laying out the show itself and try to the flow of it. He doesn't do the greatest job. I'm just saying there's certain aspects that Vince can help. There's certain that terrifies me. The other thing is AEW is going to be popular. I don't want it. People out there that are wrestling fans that know about this AEW coming up and watch Raw and SmackDown, they might not know that much about fucking NXT. So NXT could take a huge hit from this of going head-to-head with this, live or even not live. Like, they're going to be going against a a competitor. Obviously, USA will will put it out there. It doesn't have WWE. I'm just looking at the the more um, casual fans. It doesn't have the WWE name. It's it's NXT, obviously. It's a different product. It's a different presentation. So obviously, the diehards are going to watch both things. But in the end, would AEW actually damage NXT as a product if they're going head-to-head? That's what I'm wondering about, too. It, it could be both. I mean, it, because WWE could easily be like, all of these huge stars are going to be here, these former NXT champions. We're going to have Ricochet. We're going to have Kevin Owens. We're going to have Sami Zayn. We're going to have Nakamura. Uh, and we're going to have them face the NXT people and maybe lose. Like, it's the easiest thing in the world to book because they have a built-in set of stars and people that people really like. Like, if you're telling me that Samoa Joe and Adam Cole are going to have a match, I'm tuning into that shit instead of AEW. I'm sorry. I love AEW. But if I look at AEW's roster, (laughs) as far as a main event goes, and the main event is Adam Cole versus Samoa Joe for the NXT title, and Triple H is booking it, I'm probably tuning into NXT. I think that's the piece that people aren't thinking about is that Vince McMahon is going to do whatever the fuck he wants with that roster. And that roster is stacked with talent. So, like I said, Vince is a very, very smart guy. Maybe he's out of touch a little bit, wants to do entertainment more so than wrestling. But if you're going to give me a book, Triple H, William Regal uh, type show for NXT, and they have the chance to pull whatever talent they want, AEW might be in for some tough fucking sledding real soon. But it's going to be great to see either way. And I was going to say, and the winner, of course, is going to be me and you and any fan out there because let's be realistic. I think – I don't think they're going to dissolve each other. I'm just worried about, like, you know, people watching – I don't know. Basically, it's still going to be good. It's still going to be awesome, and uh, we'll have to wait and see. But what a night October 2nd will be, very coming up soon, where we can watch both of them on the two channels. Think about this. AEW kind of representing the WCW concept <laughs> on TNT. Instead of Monday, it's now the Wednesday Night Wars, and you have NXT, which is WWE's uh, child, if you will, uh, on USA going head. To, like, that is now, – now, I know that Brian Alvarez made a big deal of it, and we kind of thought it might be related to this, and it wasn't as appealing as what, we what it could have been, basically. But if you think about this, this is fucking crazy. This is absolutely nuts when you put it to that level of the Monday Night Wars, the Wednesday Night Wars. WCW versus WWE, NXT versus AEW. Fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean, he said he was floored by it. Me and you and and also him and and Dave have been talking about them having a television deal in place for a Wednesday show for forever. So when he said he was floored by the news, I thought that, like, Vince had stepped down. That's the first thing I said I sent to you. I was like, maybe Vince stepped down. Because, like, if I'm going to be floored by something, it's not NXT getting a TV deal because NXT is really good. Uh, that was that was more surprising. So when it said it was on, I mean, it being on USA head to head against TNT obviously is a huge fucking deal. Uh, but 
not as much, and and we'll see how long it lasts. I mean, like I said, WWE could easily try to bury that product, and um, unfortunately for AEW, they're going to be stuck on Wednesdays because of basketball. Like honestly, yep. basketball is going to draw more ratings than their show. So and you know NXT is not there. moving anywhere. They're they're, they're going to be staying on Wednesdays. So yeah, yeah U- USA, USA has dick all except for like the Christies, <laughs> Ms. and Mrs. <laughs> well, I don't think they have the Christies anymore, the man. Uh, the, uh, the main Christie, he just got in trouble for fucking uh, tax uh, evasion. Uh, he's he's going to prison, so, so I don't even think they have that show. I mean, like if you're if you're in USA, I mean, the end story of this is like WWE just got paid more money by USA. So they probably went from like a $6.8 billion company to a $6.875 billion company. And if you invest in their stock right now at $60 with NXT going against AEW, you're, that's probably a smart move, honestly, <laughs> if you want. Yep. And, you know, we don't normally do financial advice, but look, there's an impending war. Wrestling fans will come back. I would say, you know, invest <laughs> if you can. If you, build, if you build good wrestling, they will come. But uh, let's get into NXT TakeOver and start going over this card, man. Uh, SummerSlam weekend last weekend, uh, really great NXT, like always. Um, I thought all the matches were good, even the ones that were lesser. We'll kind of get to that. Uh, I thought all of them were just fun, uh, high-profile matches. We started off the thing um, with the Street Profits, our tag champions, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford going against Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish of the Undisputed Era for the NXT Tag Team Championships. 60 minutes, 55 seconds, awesome fucking match. Uh, just good chemistry between everyone in here. I think Montez Ford is a maniac. I think Angelo Dawkins, both on their little uh, segments on Raw and also on this, has been really, you know, showing himself off as well. And I love Kyle O'Reilly Kyle and Bobby Fish. They're incredible in the ring. You know, Red Dragon, Red Dragon, whatever the fuck their name is. Uh, they, they're just impressive wrestlers. And the grappling, uh, Kyle would be able to fucking pick up some of these guys. Just just very, very, really, really good shit. Uh, I did not. I, I will say, starting off with a match where you kill the prophecy right, right at the beginning of it, that kind of was a little bit wonky to me because, like a lot of people going into this, Undisputed Era said they were all going to have gold by the end of the night. That obviously inevitably did not happen, and who knows what's going to happen in the future. But just giving it away right away, I think, wasn't – but this was a great opening match, so I, I, I get it. But, uh, yeah, Street Profits, uh, you know, they had a great match, and it was awesome. Uh, Chris, what did you think? I thought it was an okay tag match. I'm a little spoiled on tag team wrestling right now because of what AEW has been doing. And uh, obviously watching Triple Mania and uh, TNA, I, I just – there hasn't been the standout tag match that I really want. I thought it was good. I thought it was a good showing for the Street Profits. They definitely feel like Monday Night Raw main roster tag team, like prepped for that, um, more so than anything else. So it was okay. I'll say that. I, nothing about that match blew me away. All right, this uh, – I don't – these next two matches, man, I can't figure out which is my favorite match. And, yes, honestly, I thought Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano was great. It was my favorite match of the night. The, the, the next two matches were fucking amazing. Io Shirai, Candice LeRae, uh, singles match, went 15 minutes. 
Uh, I love that the ladies not only got a title match this time, but they actually had another profiled match from a storyline going on between two of their best competitors. They, dude, Io Shirai is so fucking good. Every time she would get out and, and do like the ricochet flip thing and get back on her feet real quick, incredible. And I love dude, this Io persona. So amazing. I love Io so much. Continue. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. She really is. And, and this heel turn, the facial expressions, the way she carries herself, the music, the, the visual, it's creepy. And she's like, she's kind of putting, I, I would say, Muda-esque kind of qualities within her uh, of, of trying to come off intimidating. You know, she was such a baby face, but I think this is going to help her in the long run of being this dominant heel. Kind of like, uh, she reminds me of the, the girl from Kill Bill, the, the, the little school girl in that one fight against uh, 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 <laughs> Beatrix Kiddo uh, with this kind of look just – I forgot her name. But, um, uh, yeah, and, and then and Candace is fucking awesome, man. This was – she lost, but she definitely showed off why Candace LeRae should not just be Johnny fucking Gargano's wife, you know, and that was awesome. I thought the ladies killed it. I might have liked the next match a little bit more, but I still really, really like this match. Chris, what do you think about the Candice LeRae, Io Shirai match? I think this is – I thought that match was really, really great, especially because I haven't seen Candice wrestle in a while. And I, I think when we were even uh, talking about it, I was like, I don't know if it's going to be that good. I love Io. I think that she's going to be a great heel. Last time we talked about this. But the match kind of – it was really, really, really good. And – uh when you look at like the roster and you think about they're going head to head, you got to keep EO. She's got to be there, right? As Shayna might as well be there as well. And you should probably send back down the Kabuki warriors since you're not doing anything with them and have them on NXT because you already Absolutely. know the AEW is well, doing the Japanese females. Exactly. The Yoshi uh, females. Yeah. Or, or is it Yoshi or uh, whatever it is? Yeah. Well, how are you going to compete with that concept that Kenny's trying to bring to AEW? Well, you have the three, arguably three of the biggest names in that department back down on NXT, including fucking Oscar that they're not doing dick with. So yes, I completely agree with you, Chris. That's one of those things where you look at it and you go, two of those three have had five-star Dave Meltzer matches. <laughs> so <laughs> put them together against whatever AEW's Japanese matches or Japanese female matches, and you got fucking money, dude. You're printing money. Uh, like I said, Vince is a very smart man, and this uh, this doesn't come as a surprise to me that NXT is going live, but I, I would definitely bring back down the Kabuki Warriors and build that female roster up and have like a really, really good fucking showing with your females and have them wrestle. Let, let it be wrestling. I'll be great. I mean, it's going to suck for people like Becky Lynch and, uh, you know, Bailey that are on the main roster, even to some extent. Well, Charlotte Flair, I think, will just always be in touch because she's a player and she's really goddamn good. Uh, but out, out, outside of that, I mean, you're going to see people turn back to Asuka. You're going to see people turn back to what Carrie Zane could be. If you, if you book them right on a good product, like, whew, that, that female well, roster could be super thick, nasty in NXT. And not only that, going back to everything uh, previously with this NXT TV deal, one of the rumors that has been going around is that part of this, it's two hours, but they're going to dissolve the uh, 205 Live roster within that and keep the belt and get rid of 205 Live. Uh, do you think that's going to be something that happens inevitably? 
because they're already doing stuff with Evolve with some of the 205. I mean, you just keep on trading them off and let Drew Gulak go to fucking Evolve, you know, come back with NXT. Um, or do you think they'll keep 205 Live around? I honestly think they look at 205 Live and then they look at AEW's roster and they go, most of the guys on 205 Live are the same size or bigger than the people on AEW. As bad as that sounds, yeah. it's kind of true, right? Like, well, yeah. so why would you not just combine it into NXT and just you make an intercontinental title or, or you have them chase their, uh, was it the North American title? That they, what do they call yeah. their middle North American title? You just have them chase that. Yeah. And maybe you get a standout like Drew Gulak versus Matt Riddle like they had it Evolve. Like Gulak has been doing great. And having really yes, good fucking matches, very underrated. And he's about to go against. Kishida, I think he's the best will be cruiserweight champion banger. besides Pac. He's the best cruiserweight yeah. champion, pretty legitimately, since Pac. Yeah, him and Austin Aries, uh, Pac and Austin Aries. I mean, like hands down, Gulak has really been holding down. Tony Nice was good too, but yeah, I just don't put him on the same level ring work wise or personality wise as those three. Absolutely, I, I, I like the I like the concept itself and. Uh, I think Drew Gulak is pretty much – Ron SmackDown, I've already gotten the other ones, and they look like they're doing stuff with all of them, which is awesome, with Buddy Murphy, even if that, even if that was actually an accident on how it happened. Hey, fuck, shit happens. But him, Cedric, Ali especially, they've been pushing. So Drew's like that last one, but if you put him in NXT and let him really work with Evolve still, that's pretty goddamn interesting too, especially if he kind of takes his belt and holds it for a while and is like the traveling – cruiserweight champion or whatnot it's it's a fun yeah, it's a fun thing to play out yeah and i mean you know worst case scenario we get pete dunn versus drew gulak on tv like that's gonna be fucking amazing <laughs> that's what i'm saying wwe has so much talent that people are underselling how much this means and that's why brian alvarez said it floored him because there is a talent burial a little bit when you're comparing rosters to AEW versus WWE. They have so many Absolutely. great wrestlers to WWE. And the main complaint is they don't do anything with them. Well, if you're giving NXT yep. two more hours, like they're going to do a lot with them. <laughs> There's going to be a lot more places for guys like Buddy Murphy and Drew Gulak and uh, you know all, all of those guys. So I'm I'm stoked. I think it's going to be great. It's a great time to be a wrestling fan, Dane. Let's continue Absolutely. forward with NXT. <laughs> yeah, um, this match honestly, I, maybe I'm just hyping it up so much, but I've watched it three times. That's how that's I liked it so much, and it's a 17 minute match. So I will say the, the creative stuff that they did in this three way, this is up there to me. And I mean, it's because three ways usually suck. I'll just put it that way first. But there haven't been that many great three ways, and uh, this is up there to me with Benoit, Shawn Michaels, and fucking. Uh, Triple H. That is the biggest. I don't think anything's going to get to that level. Uh, yeah, no, it's Chris Benoit. Yeah, yeah, I said that right. Um, but this fucking three-way between Roderick Strong, Velveteen Dream, Pete Dunne were awesome. I love the moves. Uh, Roderick Strong on the outside uh, did this thing where he basically did the backbreaker and then did another backbreaker, Velveteen Dream, and then it did a backbreaker or something where they he did it over the other guy's body, basically. He took him – that's right. I think Pete Dunne was up, down in all fours, and he took Dream and just smashed his back into the other guy's back. And inside, Pete Dunne did a similar type of sequence. They would always use each other as a weapon, basically. And I didn't really see that done before in a three-way match. I love the ending where Roderick Strong has Dream and uh, Pete Dunne against the ropes. 
and he's just going giving fucking just gnarly forearms. I mean, Roderick Strong has to be one of the stiffest wrestlers, and like up there with Loki, or he's, I guess, better than Bret Hart when it comes to being able to sell a good working punch that fucking crisp. I don't know, man. He nails the fuck out of them. But all three guys did awesome. Uh, Roger Strong lost. So that's another thing. A part of the uh, the prophecy completely canceled out. But uh, Velotine retained it. He pinned uh, T- Pete Dunne after the Purple Rainmaker. It sucks that Dunne took a loss, but what they did with NXT afterwards is the follow-up interview. It looks like he's pissed, and he's coming for fucking Velveteen Dream because I love the way that they had it. So they had the two guys pinned. He had Roderick Strong uh, was on top of uh, Pete Dunne. He just did his finisher, I believe. And it was counting, and uh, Pete Dunne was about to move right at three, but then Velveteen Dream comes out of nowhere with a fucking elbow drop, uh, nailing Roderick Strong, throwing him out of the ring. Pete Dunne's now even more fucked up from that situation and gets the three count. So... You know, even if Dream, even, hey, that was that was completely legit legal. But Velveteen Dream, it has to be crafty sometimes. And uh, you know, Pete Dunne's blaming him, so I think they're going to go for that. I wouldn't be surprised if they take the belt off Dream next and put it on uh, Pete Dunne and put Dream in the main title picture. Uh, what do you think about this match, though, Chris? Am I gushing too much? No, you're not gushing. This was my favorite match of the night. I'm sorry, Gargano. <laughs> I'm sorry, Adam Cole. You guys had a, a banger, but it wasn't as good as your first two, in my opinion. I like the first two better. Um, that elbow I'm drop. I'm right there with you. That that fucking cross, the ring elbow drop to break up that pin was phenomenal. Coast One of the coast. best elbow drops. Yeah, the coast-to-coast elbow drop, perfect macho man form on the elbow drop from all the way across the ring. To develop a teen dream, as we've said multiple times. He's your next star. He's going to be your guy. And whether it happens on Wednesday, Friday, or Monday, it's not going to fucking matter. Just push the dude. Push him. I'm telling you, there's nothing on AEW that's like Velveteen Dream. There's nothing like him. He's, he's, it's a weird Jeff Hardy-type presence. You, he has so much fucking charisma. The match itself was incredible. Pete Dunne and Roger Strong beat the absolute shit out of each other, which I wouldn't expect any less from those two. But Velveteen Dream is your Dwayne The Rock Johnson in that match. He's selling. He's just selling. He's selling. But when it comes time to hit the big spot and look like a million dollars, he's your guy. And that's what WWE wants and needs. And uh, that fucking coast-to-coast elbow drop was phenomenal. Uh, I love – I think Harry Zane hits an amazing elbow drop as well, but that might be one of my favorites of all time minus, you know, yep. you know Wrestle, WrestleMania 3 with Macho Man or something. <laughs> like like uh, as far as elbow drop go or Sean on Brett in the 60-minute Iron Man match, uh, that was a cool spot, especially because of the way they shot it where he you, – you saw it afterwards, but like he literally just flew into the screen with the perfect elbow drop and was like, blap! <laughs> It was amazing, dude. I loved it. I, uh, this this was by far my match of the night. Not even fucking close. Like Gargano uh, after this match, the Gargano and uh, and uh, Cole match, it was good, but it didn't get me to the same high as uh, this three way. And obviously, I I'm a mark for Velveteen Dream, but I think that's within reason because I I think he could be a huge star and. Uh, he wasn't the best wrestler in the match. He's not going to be the guy that's going to be like go in there and have like the greatest matches of all time. He's not Kenny Omega or Okada or anything. 
um, as far as no. in-ring work goes. But if you can hit your spots really, really well, like The Undertaker or you know, uh, Stone Cold, if you, can, if you can channel that and make yourself a character as big as he is and have that charisma, that fucking shit goes a long way, dude. So I gushed over this match as well, obviously. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, that's the thing about Dream, dude. And you're completely right. I, the selling aspect of him is so much like The Rock. But not only that, his personality is Prince meets The Rock. And he, <laughs> and, and, and he works in the ring like Randy Savage and does tributes to Hulk Hogan. It's fucking awesome. I love his entrance. I love everything about the Velveteen Dream. You know, I've heard people say that... Uh, I've actually heard people on the opposite of us saying that they don't uh, they, they don't see him resonating with Vince on the main roster, and I have to disagree. I think that he's that perfect Vince-like fucking WWE character that just came naturally. And uh, Patrick Clark well, is you a know fucking what, you badass. Know, you know what's great? And you know what's great about those comments? And he's under 25. And he's under 25, by the way. Then you know what's great about those comments? They don't fucking matter anymore because he's on a main roster. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. <laughs> so who gives a shit? Like, Velveteen Dream is the top guy in NXT. So whether he goes to Raw or not, it doesn't mean anything, and no one will care. And if you're if you're saying that, like, anyone on Raw or SmackDown is going to be bigger than Velveteen Dream with national exposure, I would question you as a person. <laughs> Maybe Adam Cole. <laughs> I think he could get there. But outside of that, like, Velveteen Dream is there. Hey, I would say Adam Cole – Velveteen Dream and Matt Riddle within the next year, especially if they're on national fucking TV, will be the biggest stars in WWE as long as Vince don't doesn't fuck with them. And that's the bottom line, Coach Chris said so. All right, uh, let's move to the next match. My least favorite match. Uh, I'll I'll start off with that, even though it's uh well kind of rude, but I still thought this was a fucking good match, man. I I know I've seen a lot of negative. Uh, negativity towards this it you know everyone said it was too long it's the shortest match out of anything on here i think it definitely got hit because of the other women's match which is it sucks because that happens because you shouldn't really compare it like that but that's that's just how it works and i think medium is awesome i love how persistent Shayna is i i just i dig her style i mean i think that people are just getting less and less involved with um like I, I that like that Timothy Thatcher, uh, you know, Davy Boy Smith MLW match where they didn't go off the ropes the whole entire time. Matt Riddle does it really well, but it just if it if it goes in more of like a methodical wrestling pace, it's just less appealing, I think, to modern audience a bit. And um, with Dave Metzler, I, I I appreciate the shit out of Dave. I think he's an excellent historian. Not the biggest Brian Alvarez fan. I've admitted that many times, but I I do actually like Dave, and he he knows information, you know. Within it, but he gave this, and I, his star ratings. That's his personal opinion. He even said that he doesn't. He actually doesn't understand why people take him so. I mean, he's. It's because he's Dave Metzler. He's been doing this for years. But we don't have to put so much like aggression into it. Kind of like Rotten Tomatoes almost with movie fans. Like have your own opinion, and that's fine. He just he gave it a star and a half, I think, and it was the same score he gave the fucking Ali Leva Bates match in AEW. So. When you when you think about it, I don't know if he's really thinking about the levels of scales that he's had. But I didn't think this was that bad of a match. I think it was a pretty good, well wrestled match. I know people hate Shayna Baszler; they compare her to Baron Corbin. I I I, I would disagree. I think she's just dominant. I think someone's taking that title away from her. Um, I don't think it's EO, obviously because of the heel turn. It might be Mia Yim. I don't know. I, I'm surprised they didn't put it on Bianca. I think she has charisma for days. 
Maybe Candace will get built to that point. But it's staying on Shayna for a while. Uh, Chris, what do you think about the match, the backlash of the match, and the fact that Shayna Baszler is still your NXT Women's Champion? Well, I think the way Dave rates matches is within the show itself. So within the show itself, like one and a half, two stars is probably about right. This was not a good match, and it was very hurt by the positioning on the card because we just watched Velveteen Dream jump like 175 feet to the other side of the ring with an elbow drop. Uh, so that didn't do them any favors. But, uh, you know, wrestled-wise, it was fine. I mean, it was a lot of chain wrestling in the center of the ring. Like you said, no no spots. But, I, you know, Mia Yim is still – she's very young and, and still learning. I mean, she's not going to give you a Carrie Zane, Asuka, you know, Charlotte Flair-type female match. I think it's very unfair to uh, compare Shayna Baszler to, uh, to Baron Corbin because, one, she – I mean, as a female, I think she's a lot better in the ring than Baron Corbin, <laughs> except for his yeah. finishers. Uh, but uh, she should uh, do his finishers. Uh, yeah, she should take his finishers, and the people like, dude, Shayna Baszler's fucking awesome. Uh, um, I really enjoy her as a champion, and it's not, you know, her fault that they didn't do Bianca Belair versus her. But it's all going to make sense in the long run, and. Uh, it was a fine match. I mean, it was okay. It wasn't anything bad. I'm not going to say it was like, oh, God, that match was terrible, uh, you know, but it, it just – after such the high of the match before it, it's just kind of put in a bad spot, honestly. Not only that, I think it collected from the match even before that and just keep on amplifying, and that was definitely the bathroom break match, unfortunately. But uh, the next match, 46 minutes. Uh, Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano, two out of three falls match for the NXT Championship. You know, Johnny's now had two pretty damn amazing storylines. I would I would put his with Ciampa over his with Cole, and I would put their sets of matches over his with Cole. And I think the last few matches with Adam Cole was better than this match as well, Chris. I agree with you on that. Um, but it was still a damn good match. It's just it was long. They beat the living fuck out of each other. Adam Cole got the first. No, did Johnny get the first pin? Yeah, I think he did. He did get the first pin. The second one is because Johnny disqualified himself by uh, destroying – no, maybe that was the first uh, – all right, I'm, I'm actually my, – my head's not clear. I'm going to pass it to Chris and ask him what he thinks about it so I can try to, like, get the uh, who won what basically for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't have, I don't have the notes in front of me, but what I will say is uh... – I mean, Cole walked out champion, right? So that's that shows you where they're going in the future. And um, I'm not going to do any spoilers, but there's there's big plans for the Undisputed Air. And uh, it was a good match. It just wasn't as good as their previous matches. It was the typical spots. And uh, to be honest, I know that people were really high on the Gargano-Cole matches, but I thought Gargano versus Chava as a feud and as matches was a bit better. And I guess you're comparing yep. year to year, but I, Chompa to me is a better character than both of them. Um, him as a heel, he was like in my top five heels last year uh, when he was healthy. So I'm looking forward to him coming back. I mean, it was a great match, definitely worth watching. If I was going to watch just like one or two matches on this NXT, I would definitely go the three-way match with Bubble Team Strong and uh, Pete Dunne, and then this match. I mean, obviously, uh, great all around. 
Um, and the, and the, the entire show was really, really, really good. And the Toronto crowd was hot for it. Uh, I just, I, the, to me, if you're going to do a best of three falls match with a special stipulation, I was thinking, you know, lose or leave town. I think I told you that. Um, but obviously you can't do that if you're going to do a show, <laughs> which we didn't know at the time. <laughs> um, where your champion, you know, where your champion or one of your top contenders for the championship would leave but uh, overall i liked it it just wasn't as good as they're much i i think they did i'm not going to be the guy that complains about so many fucking near falls uh but there was a lot of near yeah, falls me too. and uh and it did lean towards the the problem with doing that kind of match where no there's no like loser leaves town or like you know hair versus mask or something like some kind of big finish to it you just kind of know how it's going to go like one person's going to win the first first match one person's gonna win the second match and then the third match is just you know a toss-up on who they want to be champion um i would love for once for wwe to break the mold and just have some dude win two falls in a row like even if they did hey, it with someone like brock lesnar or something like that would blow people's minds they'd be like damn he won both in a row yeah, and I, I do like the story that was in the match itself. I think that they did a good job of that. So basically, towards the end of their, their first match, uh, Johnny just takes out a chair, and uh, after, getting, you know, I I don't remember if he got hit while the, the, the ref was turned around or some shit, but he decided, uh, fuck it. I'm not going to even let him get a pin. I'm, in his head, he was going to beat him the next two rounds and just give Adam Cole the win which is a very Johnny Gargano thing to do, even though it was also stupid. But then you got to start the street fight after beating the shit out of him with a chair. Eventually, Adam Cole put him on one of the chairs and did, I think, the last shot to get the, um, the, his win. And then they went to the cage match that was hidden from the crowd and not announced to them, but announced to us on the pre-show. Pretty fucking cool. Ambrose Asylum match. Uh, well, you know, whatever. But uh, the big spot was the ending where Johnny did not – he overprojected too. He put the tables – two tables up. They go up after Johnny grabs some barbed wire after, uh, you know, um, clipping it off and goes after Cole. Adam Cole goes up the ladder to get away from him. They're on top. Johnny Gargano uh, goes after Adam with the barbed wire, and then Adam forces him to fall through the tables. Like I said, they didn't break the first table. They overshot it, hit the fucking ground, and then Adam just put his arm on him, uh, as as of if it wasn't like maybe intentional or something like that, he was just that's what happened. And Adam Cole got the fucking win. Part of this is because Johnny is arrogant and he gave him the fucking first win. I mean, it's going to be fun to see where this goes, and I think Ciampa's going to come into play, and we're probably going to get more so stuff with that. And uh, just very interesting uh, to see what happens future with NXT. I do know spoilers like you do, obviously, so we're not going to talk about that, but. Just good, just a good night in general. It was good seeing Austin Theory in the uh, audience. Big excited that he's a part of the next group of people um, coming in. Him and um, El Fantasma from uh, who's also El, or King Kiarto from uh, uh, Lucha Underground, AAA Impact, and a giant uh, dude that's like seven four that Scott Hall and, and and Sid and like a lot of other guys have been going to Performance Center to specifically work with to try to get them up as like this giant. So that's kind of cool, man. Uh, NXT as a whole, what did you think? Take over Toronto. Yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a really good show. A lot of fun to watch. Toronto crowd was hot. Uh, there were some good matches on it. And like I said, the only, the only, uh, 
I mean, they put that Bianca Belair match there as a buffer, and they probably asked them not to do as much, which I think is unfortunate because WWE does that. They buffer matches. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, every other match on the card was really good and, and worth watching for sure. Io Shirai is a heel I love completely. Um, I loved her coming into NXT. I think we had a, I think we had one podcast where I just gushed over her in stardom in Japan uh, when she first signed. Um, so I'm looking forward to the future. I thought Velveteen Dream was amazing. I think he just dropped the title. And uh, maybe chase Adam Cole or something. It, uh, the only the only thing I would say is like you need Matt Riddle on your shows because I outside of bro. that everything else thought it was perfect. But bro, the King of Bro should be on. Do we want to uh, talk about that right now? Yeah, we Fucking should Matt go ahead and talk about bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Matt Riddle was Matt. on a uh, watch along. You can watch on the network right now. Uh, that they were doing at the same time during the SummerSlam. We're about to go into SummerSlam, so whatever. Decent segue. Matt Riddle was talking during the Goldberg match and said that he ran into him. Uh, he saw his locker, and he went over by the locker, and then uh, fucking Goldberg basically comes out and looks at him and says, we need, we need a talk between me and you or something like that. And he's like, all right, bro. And Goldberg was like, I'm not your bro. And, uh, you know, I Matt Riddle, I think he kind of apologized, or, or or the way that he fucking would called him a bro again. Goldberg said, "I'm not your bro." Uh, and he's like, "All right, man. Well, uh, uh, what the hell? Is, I'm trying to remember the ending. It was like, um, he's like, all right, well, uh, oh no, no. Goldberg said, "Nice to meet you," kind of sarcastically. He's like, "The pleasure is mine." Like fucking Matt bro. Riddle, dude. He's hilarious. <laughs> the pleasure bro. is mine, all mine, bro. And then he was he was like, "I got something to say to you." I guess he thought Matt Riddle was going to back down, and maybe maybe he's never seen a UFC fight with Matt Riddle. I mean, like, Matt Riddle is treating Goldberg like he is a joke, to be honest, because he got choked out by Jericho. And Matt Riddle was a professional, ex-professional UFC fighter, so he probably thinks he could twist Goldberg into a fucking pretzel. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Oh, yeah. It, it was hilarious. But uh, he is using the jackhammer now. Since then, uh, oh house shows. my god! And he's renamed yeah, that's it the right. Bro he Hammer. Did do that. He's calling it the Bro Hammer, which is <laughs> fucking amazing. Oh, how, wow. was he, how was he not on? How was he not on this show? <laughs> like Matt Riddle was great. Whatever. Like, like we all know my feeling. If you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you know how I feel about Bill Goldberg. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I, I get I get I, what the legends are saying, like Booker T and, and 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 even Chris Jericho, strangely. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I was a kid throughout that whole entire thing. I, just like the Ultimate Warrior, I just knew that they weren't that great, and I kind of didn't like how Ultimate Warrior overshadowed Hulk Hogan. I really did not like how fucking Goldberg all of a sudden took the place of Sting as like the main guy for it, and dude had five minute matches, and that was it. And he went ah. So I appreciate him as a legend. I think he had a better outing, obviously, than the Saudi Arabia fucking fiasco. He had to come back to fucking kill uh, Dolph Ziggler real quick, and then that was it. I mean, it's it's whatever. He never was one of my favorites. He was one of the most popular, though. I can't say he wasn't. I mean, the Attitude Era, dude, he's he's not to the Rock and Stone Cold level, but he he was pretty fucking popular in that whole entire thing. So 
Yeah, unfortunately, WCW booked him to punch through a window, and he cut his arm open and lost like a year and a half of his career during when it was the most important time during that war. So it's hard so to say. I mean, stupid. I, it's so oh, well, that's WCW, right? Like it's fucking stupid. It is like most of the shit doesn't make sense. They booked Sting so perfectly for so long, and then they had him like win in a fuck finish against Hogan with Bret Hart as a special guest referee, who they also did dick all with. So <laughs> stupid. So. It's WCW. <laughs> like, we'll go with that. But I'll give you one quote that Real said. Uh, he said, if he, meaning Goldberg, ever got in the ring, I'd pick him up, hold him there for an extended period of time, and then dot, 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 bro hammer. <laughs> so, oh, my God. <laughs> Matt Riddle is, uh, is great. And, and you know what? Yeah. I, talking about legends, ask Bret Hart what he thinks about Goldberg versus Matt Riddle <laughs> in the ring. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. ask, ask multiple people that have been fucked up by Goldberg. I like, love, I love Brett. I love, <laughs> I love Brett Hart. I love Brett Hart. Like, if he goes into talking shit about Goldberg, he's like, you know, me and uh, me, me and Bill, we, we, we've talked and we've worked his differences, and he felt so bad about the injury. But man, he fucking sucks in the ring. <laughs> he just rails his ass. Like, I've seen him in multiple interviews talking about that shit. He's, he's a nice guy, but uh, you know, fucking uh, can't can't work with the shit. Uh, I mean, as, so let's as a fan of <laughs> as a fan of Riddle before we before we move out. Obviously, if you're on the lower card and you know Goldberg's coming back and you can talk shit about someone, even if you personally feel it, that happens in wrestling all the time. Jeff Jarrett took Kurt Angle's wife and they built that into a storyline. Chris Benoit took Kevin Sullivan's wife and they built that into a storyline. Worked into if a storyline. Thinks that Goldberg. Yeah, if Riddle thinks that Goldberg sucks, build it into a storyline. Make us really care about it. Uh, and he's doing a great job of that by himself on Twitter. Uh, so it, it's both gotten Goldberg talked about more and Matt Riddle talked about more. So from that standpoint, it's genius. Even if he doesn't feel that way, like maybe he secretly does love Goldberg. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's been great. Uh, it's very Chris Jericho on Twitter. Matt Riddle has, has been amazing in that role. Yep, and uh, just you hear to hear, folks. Uh, you know, from uh, the the other wrestling observer, Christopher Brotheray Patton. We're gonna be having Matt Riddle versus Bill Goldberg in a retirement match at WrestleMania this next year. So uh, look for that, bro. Actually, I kind of that, that would that be happens. fucking amazing. Uh, I, mean, I mean, that would be amazing <laughs> if Matt Riddle just if Matt Riddle just straight beats him with a jackhammer like right off the bat at WrestleMania. You just made a star. <laughs> like, why Get out of here, bro. <laughs> yeah, or Fucking... he just chokes him out like UFC style. And then you can have Riddle versus uh, Lesnar. UFC versus UFC yep. or him versus Lashley. There's tons of shit you could do off that. Like I said, he has set himself up very well by having a Twitter feed. You know what I mean? <laughs> I completely agree with you, man, and I think I think it's awesome. And he's so it's, – it's, dude, it's, it, 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 with him, it's great because it's like, what if Ken Shamrock wasn't like Ken Shamrock and he was like Spicoli, and then you have Matt Riddle, and there you go. <laughs> all right. Ready to talk about SummerSlam, Chris? You drive, all navigate. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. All right. Time, time to drive. All right, that that was a good that was a good statement. Hey, I will say that before we get started, I thought this was a really good SummerSlam for the most part. A couple parts here and there that you know lackluster, and we'll get into that obviously. But you know, 
I I had fun with SummerSlam. I'll even say that I thought it was a better card than WrestleMania. And I actually liked WrestleMania this year, if you remember. Um, but this was uh, this was interesting. We started off. I'll just do all three pre-show matches, um, list them because they're not really worth going in too much into, uh, and then we'll go over the main card match by match. But uh, uh, the pre-show uh, first match was Drew Gulak uh, going against Oni Lorcan. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. If you, if you didn't watch the pre-show and you want to know it for some reason about this, they had a better, longer match on 205 Live. That was a rematch. Way fucking better than this one. This was fine. It just they had you know less than nine minutes to try to put something together. Uh, Gulak retains his uh, cruiserweight championship. Then we had Buddy Murphy versus Apollo Cruz. This was actually a really good in-ring uh, match before it got interrupted. But Buddy Murphy, from randomly being in the back during that angle, got himself accidentally involved with this whole entire thing and has been striving because of it, which is awesome. Because uh, Rowan came out, beat the shit out of him. And, uh, you know, told him to keep his uh, name out of his mouth. And we would find out more so that he made up the fact that apparently Rowan and uh, Daniel Bryan had something to do with the Roman Reigns stuff. So the question is, who is it? And there's a rumor, rumor, guys, that Luke Harper might be that third person still working within them. I don't really want that. But if they've worked out with Luke Harper, something to make him happy, I mean – Whatever, I'd rather see him on television. But uh, very interesting. And then the women's match, it was whatever. <laughs> I uh, Alexa Bliss and Nikki uh, Cross beat the Iconics. The, the, I think they won or retained after beating them twice. Yeah, they retained uh, the WWE Women's Tag Team match. Six minutes. It was it was whatever. I like Alexa Bliss and Nikki with the the, the belts. If there's anyone else, obviously they're going to put it on. I wish they would put it on Oscar and Kyrie Sane, but. I think they actually do work well as a team. And I kind of like, even though she's fucking still going full blaze and doing bulldogs and shit, I like having Alexa Bliss not fully in the ring the whole entire time and having a tag team. We're pairing, whatever. Chris, what do you think about the pre-show matches? I I think they are still protecting Alexa Bliss. She hasn't been doing as much in the ring. And uh, a perfect teammate for her is Nikki Cross. And you know what? Just make them a genuine team. Maybe they're just, like, hashed together and, and, like, originally Alexa was using her. But make them, like, end up being best friends. Why not? Like, have a babyface team. People want to cheer for Alexa anyways. No one really wants to boo her. Uh, and, and have Nikki Cross as, like, the wild card. Like, just run with that as a tag. If you're going to do a tag team division, you need set baby faces. And Asuka's not necessarily a babyface. She's more of, like, a Chris Benoit tweener. I mean, Carrie Zane, obviously, over-the-top babyface. But... It, to me, it makes a lot of sense to have them as a tag team. I just don't know where you go with it because the tag team women's tag team division is uh, not great. Uh, <laughs> um, nope. Hopefully, they they travel that thing to NXT and uh, defend against some people down there or something. Because like I could see like you know Shayna and one of her crew uh, having a tag team. You know you know what I mean. There's more shit you could do. Hopefully, they get there. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Buddy Murphy stuff is amazing, and I like it that it did turn out not to be Rowan and Daniel Bryan at the moment because I don't want Daniel Bryan necessarily involved with Roman. Uh, obviously, it was Rikishi, and he did it for The Rock. <laughs> did it for The Rock. I, I did it for The Rock. Um, if it's Luke Harper, that's cool too, and I think you could build a great storyline where maybe they kill Roman Reigns for a little bit because he's probably going to go film another movie. And uh, uh, then you have super sensitive – uh, Funhouse Bray Wyatt decide that he really loves Roman 
You could build a cool angle off of that until they really make him mad, and he turns into the fiend. You can destroy all three of them, and that's well, three there's, people there's used to rumor, be in the Wyatt family. There's a rumor going around <laughs> that, and I, I once again, this is not fact; it's a rumor. Like I said, it that possible storyline is that Bray's going to start going for ex Wyatt members, including Braun Strowman, uh, Luke Harper, Eric Rowan, and Daniel Bryan. Like I start attacking them. Uh, which would also be interesting if they do that later on this year after whatever his next feud is. I love this. We'll talk about The Fiend in a little while, but there's a lot they can do. And Daniel Bryan versus The Fiend and the past that they've had, you know, it's very, very interesting to me. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was getting at is, like, he shows up as normal, funhouse-friendly Bray Wyatt and is getting his ass kicked by three or four dudes that are in, you know, the new – basically cult leader gang because i mean it's cult leader but it's recyclables right or whatever with daniel bryan yeah daniel Bryan's pretty much a cult leader <laughs> and uh then you i mean this is they're not going to do this but if they did this would be fucking amazing until the fiend comes out and he destroys all three of them and now you've you've made something really really cool we'll see where it goes but yeah man uh Pretty interesting stuff. I also wanted to make mention of the segment that was on there where you had the OC go visit uh, Finn Balor. And, uh, you know, at first it was all friendly, friendly stuff. And then they started being, you know, kind of talking up the fiend and being like, man, do you know what you're getting yourself into? And I think that's the first time Finn started realizing stuff. And he kind of got offended. But the guys were just basically like, if you put up the, you know, the, the too sweet like in the ring, we will come and uh, come and help you. I just like what could be <laughs> happening with Finn from this, Chris, because we have two ways that we can do this. You can they set up that type of aspect where when Finn comes back, he can join the Bullet Club. Maybe they do a storyline where they fuck Finn over and they they you know the, the Four Horsemen Sting aspect type of concept, or they just keep him in there and they go for more of like the real rock and roller, the more egotistical, arrogant Prince Devitt like version. Or they can go full demon if they want to and kind of do that route. It, it's very interesting now that I, I, it sucks that Finn's gotten this stale basically, Chris, but I think that they have options now to really change his character if Vince doesn't decide to just do the same fucking smile bullshit when he gets back. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that when he does come back, he is going to join the Bullet Club and turn, they're going to turn him heel uh, just because they, uh, the fans aren't into him unless he is the demon and if you can save the demon even if he's a heel demon that's oh, that's heel way better be than cool. what that's way better than what finn currently is and uh you don't go right back to the well with him versus bray i mean that's stupid if you're gonna do like mystics versus mystics then you go alistair versus bray uh in my yeah. opinion at least I completely agree. I would love to see Alistair and Bray for a couple months. You can even get a loss on Alistair and hit and build the story and have the like do that. Actually, like have a storyline where they have matches and they really bring out each other. You know, that would be cool. But you know, instead we'll probably get Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins again in a month. Um, let's go to the first match on the card. Submission match for you the WWE. Like was, wait, hold on. You said Brock versus Seth like it was a bad thing. <laughs> We're gonna get well, to this. No, the match, bed, but... the match, the match was good. The match was good, but I, I got sick of the fucking the two of them feuding for a while. Uh, very much, more, not as much as uh, Roman and Brock made me want to bash my head in with a baseball bat after a while. But it's like, 
You can have two guys. I don't. People think that Aleister Black would be hurt if they him and Bray had a feud because probably he would lose. But he can lose the first time and keep on going with the storyline since there's no title involved, and then straighten both of them and have Bray even lose to Aleister Black at some point. Have them feud with each other. It's like that's a crazy you know concept. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you know the big thing that's surprising is that, uh, which I, I don't know if we're gonna get time to get in the King of the Ring, but Braun is not listed at all. Nope, he is Big Show. <laughs> he has became the Big Show now. Well, so just heads up, uh, everyone. <laughs> isn't he? Um, I I feel like uh, I I heard that there's uh, already been advertisement accidentally seen for him and uh, Seth Rollins at this next pay per view. So it looks like they're going to be doing that, which. Is whatever, you well, know, then, but Braun's not going to get he, it, and once well, again, he's the big show. So, yeah, he's the big show, so he's a heel again. <laughs> That's what I was getting Something at. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. All right, so the first match that's actually on the card, submission match with Becky and Natalia, 12 minutes, 35 seconds. I didn't think it was a bad match. I don't really remember too much from it, but, you know, I liked both ladies working on each other's, uh, you know, finishers throughout the whole entire thing. I really thought Natalia was going to get Becky at one point with the shark, I really did, man. They they held it in for a while, but Becky ended up making uh, Natalia tap with disarmor. I know it's really dangerous because if you lift, if if someone got into it too much with an armbar, you could accidentally break someone's arm very easily. But people got to stop twisting their arms in it the opposite ways. Natalia's amazing, I get it, but like it doesn't look realistic at all when I can see the elbow on the opposite point of where it would be in an armbar. You know what I'm saying? I, I know it's like. That sounds stupid, but uh, Chris, uh, do you agree, and how did you like this match between Becky and Natalia? As a fan, a wrestling fan who also likes UFC and knowing that a lot of wrestling fans like UFC, just do a normal fucking armbar. Yeah, like, honestly, let her tap, like, naturally, just, immediately. Like, and you know what? I feel like that, God, and I, I help, I, I'm not a big fan of Alberto Del Patron, but, like, his little flip into the armbar was a really good finisher on his yeah. last run back, and I think he's still doing that. Um, do that instead of the disarmor. The disarmor just looks weak to me. Uh, that being said, I thought the match was, was decent. Uh, also, Becky, why the hell is she selling her knee if she's in a sharpshooter? Is Ember Moon the uh, only person in WWE uh, who understands the sharpshooter attacks your lower back? Like, if Natalia is going to work the leg the entire time and she's from the Heart Foundation, then just do a figure four or something. Like she knows another twist move. Do a leg bar. Do anything. But if you're going to work the leg the entire match, don't put her in a goddamn sharpshooter because it doesn't attack the leg. It's stupid. <laughs> I fucking hate it. And then the announcers had to sell it because that's what they were doing in the ring. It's dumb. It's dumb, and I hate it. And, like, and the prime example, go back to that SmackDown, Ember Moon, uh, she got attacked by Natalia afterwards, put in the sharpshooter. Guess what she sold? Her fucking back, <laughs> because that's what the move attacks. Because <laughs> she's well, not dumb. Huh? <laughs> oh, and I, I, I completely agree with you uh, that that bothered the fuck out of me, very similar to the arm bar, because it's just unrealistic. But also we should talk about the big thing that happened um, on uh, Raw because of this, uh, real quick. Let's throw this in there, man. We had a return of Shosh- Sasha Banks. She came out with a pink wig uh, on. Uh, so Natalia went out there. Um, she had her arm in a sling, so she was selling her injury. She was talking about her dad. And then 
you know, getting emotional with the Toronto audience. Um, Sasha's music hits. She goes out, hugs her, says that your dad would be proud of you. And then as soon as Natalia's back's turned, takes off her wig. She has this new violet, almost bluish hair. Um, and starts beating the living shit out of Natty, talking a bunch of shit, uh, just going at it. And then Becky comes out. The two of them go at it. Really looks like because of Charlotte beating Ember, uh, I'm assuming due to uh, the the big storyline, a lot of times they do stuff like this, within uh, NXT, uh, not NXT, uh, WWE 2K20 is going to be about the four horsewomen. So uh, I could see us having them feud, uh, Sasha and Becky, which Sasha is a great person to go against Becky. We were saying, you know, if they don't bring up Shayna, what can they do? And then also I'm assuming Charlotte and Bailey. Which is good because we haven't, we've never really got an ending with their feud. You know, Charlotte just called Bailey a fucking idiot a bunch of times, to grab the title from her. You know, I think they can do some stuff with that. And I love Charlotte. I love Bailey. I love Becky. And I'm so happy Sasha's back. What do you think about the return of Sasha Banks and how she, you know, uh, changed her hair color? Uh, I don't really know what that meant, but whatever. To be fair, Bailey is a fucking idiot as far as baby faces go. Um, but Charlotte's not wrong. Uh, that's not her fault. That's her character. Uh, I'm excited. I, I'm glad that Sasha's back. I think that means that we have something for Becky to do. Otherwise, you're going to have to like move Asuka or bring up Shayna or Io or something to challenge her because like Alexa is not a threat against Becky. You've booked Becky so strong. Like She kicked the shit out of, of – of, uh, Mike Kanellis, you know, she beat a man on your roster. I mean, the only other thing you could do is bring in Tessa Blanchard to whoop that ass, but, like, that's not happening. So having Sasha back, I feel like Sasha needs to win the first match and get the title, and then Becky has to kind of fight from the bottom to make her sympathetic, especially if they're going to try to make her Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, have to screw her over for the title, right, and uh, then go from there. But, yeah, I'm super happy Sasha's back. Uh you know what? Uh, I'm I'm also kind of worried with WWE now because I feel like there's going to be a bunch of people. It's like, well, if I just say fuck it and go home, I can have a six month break or whatever instead of what Finn did, which is like six months ago. He's like, after SummerSlam, I think I might need a break. <laughs> yeah, that was the right way to do it. All right, I'm going to double up on these next couple matches so we can get to some of the bigger ones towards the end and have a little more detail. But we had uh, Goldberg, Dolph Ziggler. Exactly what we thought was going to be minute 50 seconds. Goldberg comes out, spears the shit out of Dolph, uh, puts him up the jackhammer, beats him. Uh, Dolph's great at selling, man. You have to do, you have to give him that due. I mean, he's might've just been completely smashed into oblivion when it comes to credibility with his character, but I don't think he gives a shit. I think he likes his comedy stuff. He's apparently done now. He just a couple of days for WWE He's a utility player, and at first I think that he hated that aspect, and now I think he's just embraced it and said, fuck it. He has a lot of political-related stuff. Uh, but great sells and spears, man. Uh, you know, he topped more shit, pulled the Monty Python, fucking, you know, it's only a flesh rune. Uh, Goldberg came out again, speared him, came out again, speared Jackhammer. And then after that we had an awesome match between AJ Styles and Ricochet. I will say that I think this might be one of my favorite matches. I think the Charlotte Flair Trish was my favorite, but this is very up there. Very innovative, cool spots, man, that only Ricochet and AJ could come up with. 
part where Carl Anderson, and he knocks AJ out to the ring, and Anderson and Gallows are both in his way. So he jumps, he walks on their shoulders and gets to AJ and does a hurricane rana on the outside. It was fucking awesome. And I really like the ending uh, where he does a corkscrew. AJ catches him, puts him right in the uh, Styles Clash. One, two, three. AJ Styles, you're still United States Championship. Their feud's not over, which is awesome for us fans because it's it's like Shawn Michaels and Rey Mysterio. You know what I'm saying, Chris? What would you think about the Goldberg match and the AJ Styles, or the Goldberg Dolph Ziggler match and the AJ Styles Ricochet match? I think the Dolph thing went a little long. It was fine. No, I think you should just was- straight beat him, and and that yep. been the end of. It. Because, like, I don't understand Dolph being, like... Because you're not building him back up. Like, Dolph is not going to become a main player on the roster. He just isn't. He's lost to everyone. And uh, his matches with Kofi weren't very good. And uh, I don't I don't think that's a Kofi thing, because Kofi's been having pretty decent matches with everybody else. Uh, I, I just... I think, like he like you said, I think he's just happy with where he's at, and that's what you're going to get out of Dolph Ziggler. He's going to sell. But he's not going to go out there and try to have like a five-star banger or anything. And as far as the position they put him in, he's kind of fucked anyways because we knew it was going to be like 40. I think I sent you a message during the match, and I was like, it's going to take me longer to send this message than it is for this match to end. And then it ended. <laughs> like as soon as I sent And then it ended. Um, I will say if you want to see over-exaggerated selling Shawn Michaels Hulk Hogan style – Watch oh my the third God. spear that, that Ziggler takes. He does a complete backflip, stands up Ric Flair style, and does a front bump. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely watch that. Um, I love that from a comedic standpoint. Obviously, that's not good wrestling. I wouldn't condone that, but it was fucking – in the concept of what Goldberg is and that match, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, man. The 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 with the AJ Styles ricochet, uh, dude, him jumping, like leaping on their shoulders like they're lily pads, like he's Frogger, and then hitting a Hurricane Rana <laughs> slash Frankensteiner was the one of the most athletic, greatest things I've ever seen in wrestling. It was amazing, and uh, I would be fine with him getting murdered by this group and then coming back as Prince Puma or something. Like they need a luchador, oh, put the mask awesome. on him. Have him come in. Have him have him come in as Prince Puma. I think his best shit was as Prince Puma. I know he's had great matches in New Japan, and he's always been good as Ricochet. But I think that would take him to the next level. Not having to do these scripted interviews and just being a lucha. Um, you know what pissed me off though, Chris? Some people like I love the Nightwing costume, and and people were ragging on it that he shouldn't have had the top part. And I'm like, to me. This match shares, shares a lot of similarities. Obviously, it's hard to compare towards Guerrero and uh, Rey Mysterio 97 at Halloween Havoc, but similarities to two guys that are fucking on top of their, their game. Uh, AJ's so athletic, he can make Ricochet look even better than he is, obviously, and vice versa. But he did the Nightwing thing, and it reminds me of when Rey Mysterio did the, uh, the, the full body suit that he never normally did of uh, Phantom. Uh, yeah, the Phantom. Uh, with the purple, and I thought it was kind of like, I don't know if he meant to do that, but he loves Rey Mysterio, but I thought it was fucking cool, and I thought the match was awesome. I, I thought the suit was cool, but it didn't help that the announcers buried his suit. Like, Corey Graves was like, if you got abs like that, why wouldn't you show them off? Like, if you 
Book him one way. If you want him to be your superhero and wear a superhero costume, then have him wear a fucking superhero costume. Don't exactly. undersell it with shitty commentary. So the reason the fans are doing that is because what they heard on their TV watching this pay-per-view is like, this guy's ripped to shit. He shouldn't have a shirt on. You know what I mean? Like, yep. one or the other. I thought the Nightwing costume was fine. I mean, I don't think, like, obviously, he doesn't goddamn need it. He's, uh, I mean, outside of, like, Seth Rollins, he's the most cut person on the roster. He's fucking ridiculous. He's in ridicu- ridiculous shape. Um, but I like Nightwing, so I thought it was cool. I just didn't like that Corey Graves buried it. And uh, also that finishing spot where he did, like, kind of a corkscrew and got caught into the Styles Clash was pretty awesome. Like, that was a great spot by him and AJ. That was fucking one of the – that out of all the shit I've watched, that's one of the best finishes I've seen in the past, like, three or four months. It was amazing. Minus that coast-to-coast elbow drop by Velveteen Dream. That That shit was great, too. Yeah, great match. Um, 13 minutes. I want to see more time for them in the next pay-per-view to really fucking get real creative because, I mean, it's AJ and fucking Ricochet. They're two of the best performers of their generations, basically. Uh, next match took a hit, definitely, because of the match before it. Uh, Bailey went against uh, Amber Moon. It's not like they had a bad match. I just didn't care about it. There was no – I didn't care about this feud. I felt bad for – Ember was able to perform really well with Bailey. And also Charlotte. I thought her and Charlotte had a great match on SmackDown. Uh, so it didn't hurt her maybe too much. But Bailey is just not really – I'm just not digging her as champion. And I think that Charlotte will definitely put a lot more flavor within that if they go that route. Chris, what do you think about the SmackDown Women's Championship match with Bailey beating Ember? Uh, you're 100% right. No one cared about it because they didn't show it to us on TV, dude. Like, we got a little bit of Ember feuding with Mandy Rose and uh, can't think of her name right now, but that was the feud, right? And then just all of a sudden, uh, she won one match, and Bailey was like, now I'm challenging you for the title. And <laughs> you're like, okay, cool. We know dick all about Ember Moon on the main roster because you haven't used her at all, except for, you know, her getting her Nintendo uh, Switch broken. <laughs> like who gives a shit Jeez. so going into this you're like who gives a shit like I love Ember Moon I think that she is one of the most talented female wrestlers on the roster I'd put her in the top five but like unless you're just really into in ring work and you don't care about the storyline this match is not going to be dick to you and uh, I think the crowd felt it and it hurt the match and uh, that's just kind of what that match was absolutely I agree then we had Kevin Owens going against Shane McMahon in an I quit match, or in a uh, basically loser leaves town in, in the sense of Owens because he would quit if he lost to Shane. Nine minutes, 20 seconds, usual Shane spots. Didn't think the match was that bad. Kevin Owens won, but he also hit a referee, so now there's going to be ramifications from that. We see that, unfortunately, this is going to extend with him and Shane. I will say that a lot of people have complaints about heel Shane. Him and The Miz, I fucking couldn't stand him and Roman. This may be because it is a little bit – it's very much like Vince and, and, uh, and Austin. I don't mind it as much. I actually like their interaction, so I can deal with it. But, uh, yeah, they had Elias as a special enforcer on the outside of the ring. Bullshit, tomfoolery, Kevin destroyed him, and then uh, finally beat Shane. Uh, Kevin Owens, you know, your, your, uh, your, your, your Stone Cold-esque character that drinks Molson's. Hey. Chris, what do you think? 
I would have booked this way differently as far as a match goes. The ref takes the ref bump, right? And then you go outside and you throw Shane McMahon. You use Shane McMahon as a weapon against Elias. And then you get in the ring, you stunner him, you pin that fucking geek. As far as where it was booked, obviously they're going to go with he should be disqualified, so it's a continuation of the feud. But to me, you can't have your baby face almost getting counted out for having an argument with someone that hasn't done anything at all. He just showed up at ringside. Like he almost got counted out one minute into the match. It makes Kevin Owens look like a fucking dumbass. The great thing about Stone Cold is that he always figured a way out to outsmart the bad guy. It's almost like Batman. It's like if you had Batman, but he was fucking dumb. So all he had was his equipment. You know what I mean? Like you've got to have like, – the baby face should be smarter than the heel. Like if Batman's constantly getting outsmarted by the Joker, it's super dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's the only way I can put it in perspective. I thought it was booked well for what the storyline they're going with is. Um, but I also thought it was very stupid and a, a really good chance. You know, even if Shane lost just clean there, it wouldn't have hurt Kevin or Shane at all because Shane can get more goons. Absolutely. And I think that's definitely going to happen. Um, so then we had Charlotte Flair going against Trish Stratus. Uh, 16 minutes, 40 seconds. Trish uh, made it very clear, and I don't know how, you know, if she made it sound like she is done with wrestling, like this was her last match. She kind of put it together. She put over Charlotte. That's how you're supposed to do it, Goldberg, by the way. Um, and she was an excellent <laughs> match, man. Uh, Trish, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to no-sell that and keep on going. Um, Trish, you know, she uh, she performed excellent, man. She is in super shape. She hit some stuff at the beginning I was really impressed with. Uh, she tried to do the thing in the – I thought that Charlotte was going to catch her uh, when she put up her legs in the ropes and grabbed her head like she normally does. I thought Charlotte was about to uh, uh, Styles clash her from the top ropes, but uh, tried to powerbomb her. She got out of that. Uh, just everything, man. If both of them put 100%. Trish gets her in the figure four, moves it uh, over, or starts doing the uh, figure eight. To her, um, Charlotte gets out of it, and then she puts her into it. Trish inevitably taps. Very fucking match. That's Trish's last match in Toronto on SummerSlam, the second biggest event in WWE. Um, that's a great way to go out, man. That was uh, that was a fun match, and like I said, I think this and AJ versus uh, um, Ricochet were my two favorite matches. Chris, what do you think? So my only caveat is I think this match went too long. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. Um, There was a lot of rest holds and and some slowness in the match. Um, There was one spot where uh, Trish slipped on the ropes but saved herself and then hit the the bolt, whatever her finisher is. And I thought just her balance was amazing. I was like, damn, yeah, I should start. Yeah, satisfaction. I should start doing yoga on that Trish Stratus program. I need that kind of balance because that was amazing. Um, Dude. Considering that she has not had a singles match in 11 fucking years, and she was one of the highlights of the women's roster, her and Charlotte by far were the best females on the show, like wrestling-wise. Absolutely. Uh, And they asked them to do a 20-minute match. That says a lot about who Trish Stratus is and how fucking great she is. And her legacy should be celebrated and not forgotten about because of the four horsewomen. Um, And I think that she... To me, she proved a fucking point. And my childhood, my 12-year-old self 
still loves Trish Stratus. One day she'll marry me. I'll stop sending her letters yeah. in the mail from 12 till now. But <laughs> uh, all jokes aside, I thought they had a great match. I think it could have been a little shorter outside of that. Like, it's good to see Charlotte Flair back because she's a complete fucking badass, and she carried that match. And she, like I said, when we predicted this, she is a safety net. If you can't have a good match with Charlotte Flair, you shouldn't be on the fucking main roster, honestly. Like, Charlotte Flair is incredible. Anyone who thinks any different is fucking wrong, and you should go back and watch, like, wrestling from the 60s till now. You should just watch the wrestling, basically, at that point. All right, so we get to the next match, 60 minutes, 45. That's what killed it, honestly. Too slowed down. Uh, Kofi Kingston, Randy Orton, probably my least favorite match. Uh, well, maybe not the most. I mean, both guys didn't suck too. It was just too methodical. You can tell, since it's not the big, they're extending the feud. They're going somewhere else. They had a bullshit ending. Um, they had a double count out, basically, because the guys are just so into it or whatever. Uh, I don't know. I just Randy Orton when 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 it's a big match within the within the when he actually gives a shit basically he can put on a good match. This was just a fucking a, a match to get to that match, and uh, I thought it made Kofi kind of look whatever. I don't know. It's like I was I want the win from Kofi against Randy Orton, and uh, we didn't yeah. get that. We got almost a, a fucking eighteen minute match with this shit. Yeah, we got a. We got a very boring Randy Orton match, very Triple H methodical kind of match. And then uh, the only caveat to this is that they've made Trouble in Paradise look devastating. Almost like I've said they should have done this for a long time with a move, like almost like the Rainmaker. Every time he hits that some bitch, somebody's done, except for the exception of Daniel Bryan. Yep. But after that, every time he hits that, they're fucking done. Like, he killed Randy Orton at the end, so at least there was that, but uh, I hated – I don't like bringing families into angles, and like also that was, like, the fastest count out in WWE history, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Uh, all right, so I think the big thing that a lot of people were talking about, including people that don't watch wrestling that were asking me about it because they saw it on Twitter and Facebook, The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, went against Finn Balor. Finn Balor in all white comes to the ring – uh, you know, with his normal entrance and smiles. Uh, then we go to the Firefly Funhouse uh, uh, theme. After that, we start up. We were all wondering how Bray Wyatt was going to present this. He took his old, you know, entrance, and instead of doing, like, the Radiohead-esque thing for the music like he did beforehand, it was, I believe, Agent Orange. Is the name, it was a band that did it, and Corey Taylor helped out with the production. Uh, he already had the, the Tim Savini mask, and now he had a lamp that that uh, that Savini made of his head with the light in it. He comes out, and it's much more aggressive version of the song. Scary as hell, you know, hood up, looking creepy as hell. I love the way he performed in the ring, very Mick Foley-ish. Um, I love what man or what Mick said about kind of passing the torch two brain away and how, how excited he was for the fiend. He has like contemplation throughout the match when he's looking at the hurt and heel gloves, like he's talking to them, like they're controlling him. Uh, like he reminded me of Leatherface from the fucking, from the horror movies, man. Like it was scary. It was weird. They had the full entrance on YouTube and cut it down. So you couldn't see the head part. Uh, I'm assuming because of some really fucking annoying parents out there. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, even my, uh, even my roommates, uh, two sons, they were creeped out by him. So, uh, they're doing a good job. That's all I have to say, man. 
when you when when people are comparing your reinvention like Sting did, uh, when people are are are, are comparing the, the the concept of all of your different personalities to the face of Foley, when people are comparing your entrance to the Undertaker, that is a fucking good thing. Bray has changed everything, and we've already gone on to Finn Balor and, and what 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 could happen from him. But specifically, what did you think, Chris, about the Fiends? Uh, in ring uh, debut and also the entrance itself and everything that went into it. Oh, dude, amazing remix to music. The the my wife paused it to look at the mask because she's really into special effects and makeup and shit. And she was like, or the lantern. She was like, that shit's awesome. And I was like, yeah, Tom Savini's pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, that entire thing was epic. If they take the lantern away from him, I'm gonna be kind of sad. But uh, outside of that, like. He looked like a goddamn monster, and if you if that's what you were going for, they nailed it. And I'm very excited to see what the Fiend's going to be going forward. But I do hope they sprinkle in a little bit of the nice guy Bray Wyatt. Honestly, I I like the split personality, almost like a Mick Foley, where it's two separate characters. And I'll I'll actually say that quote. Um, well, no, I, I I don't want to go into all of it actually, but he just said that. Also, I feel Bray. Uh, I feel for Bray because you want a finisher move that can do to anyone at any time, and that's the reason why the mandible claw was a good idea. Basically, he asked. He asked if he could uh, do it. Mick knows that you know Bray was a huge fan of his, and he just basically said he put over Rosemary and and Sue Young and Alistair Black uh, with the rocking thing. Uh, so basically I found out that the rocking chair thing was a tribute to Mick when he did that against Randy Orton in one of his promos, he was just rocking a rocking chair. Uh, and then also he put over Sammy Callahan for doing the cactus driver and just, it's just weird to him that, you know, before back it was, everyone was influenced by Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart and especially Ric Flair. And now it's like him and Austin and like a lot of those guys from the attitude era putting a lot of influence on the wrestlers. So just really cool stuff, man. I, I really like Bray Wyatt. I think this is a great reinvention and uh, a good first time. But let's get to the main event, Chris. Seth Rollins, Brock Lesnar, the match that no one was looking forward to and actually was a fucking awesome 13-minute match between these guys. They killed it. I, I was Seth looking won. forward to this match. I was looking forward to this match. We'll just put that out there because I definitely said I thought this might be match of the night on the last podcast. <laughs> You did. You did. I just was sick of the feud, but the execution was excellent. Uh, great fucking match. Just Brock Lesnar first starts suplexing him. You feel bad for Seth because he's doing the DDP rib tape. He looks fucking destroyed. And he came back, man, and fucking really took it to Brock. Made a very convincing match. Brock is incredible at selling. Both guys just brought each other to another level. And Brock put over Seth Rollins, and I think it's going to stay on Rollins, and I think this revitalized Seth Rollins from the Becky Rollins bullshit and everything leading up to this. I think this really helped turn him around. And uh, what do you think about it, and what do you think is going to happen to Rollins? I agree with you 100%. This is the first time that Seth Rollins hasn't looked like a geek in the past, like, two months. Uh, I love Brock grabbing him by the, the rib tape and just monkey tossing his ass. I thought that was amazing. I've never just fucking because Brock is a monster and he could do that. Well booked match. Suplex City, curb stomp like everybody wanted to see. And Seth getting a win was a big moment. I loved it. I thought I thought it was an amazing fucking match. And people that don't like Brock Lesnar, like 
Fuck off, dude. Brock Lesnar's had really great ass matches recently, so just get, it's yeah. not his fault the way he's booked. Well, no shit. Well, we got 30 seconds, so we're going to wrap it up. But uh, we, we talked about a lot of stuff. We're going to have a lot of stuff that happens on this next Wednesday show. Guys, thank you so much. Me and Chris, thank you every week for tuning in. We're going to be Wednesday, like we normally are, 6, or, uh, 6 p.m. EST. Good times. You know, check out gvnation.com. You guys have a wonderful evening. And let the Geek Vibes be with you. Say goodbye, Chris. Bye. Bye, guys. Peace out, dogs.